Hello everybody, this is Mark, one of your two awesome hosts to the Comic Book Dungeon podcast. I just want to apologize for the lateness of this episode. It's a couple weeks uh, later than we would have liked. I want to thank all of you guys for your patience. I want to thank Cruz for his patience as well. The reason this episode is so late, it's because, because of a lot of different reasons. Uh, first of all, we recorded... Oh, about a week before Christmas. Christmas week was very hectic for us. We, uh, a lot sooner than we thought, got a puppy, which very young puppy took a lot of our time, especially around Christmas. Things were very hectic. Right after Christmas, we already had tickets. We flew out. I actually got to see Cruz in person, which I haven't seen him in several years. So we were, Christmas week was crazy vacation was crazy as soon as we got back i was super sick and i just i've been trying to edit this one in a timely manner it didn't happen uh this episode and i apologize you guys have also probably noticed this episode it's almost three hours long before i started editing it was over three and a half hours long i'm not very good at editing for each half hour of the show that's over an hour of editing for me. So that episode took me over six hours to edit, which again is why this one took so long to come out. I appreciate your guys' patience. Just know that the next episode has already been recorded. So the same day that you guys, most of you guys, download this episode, I'll already be hard at work editing the next one. So by the time you finish listening to this super mega-sized episode, the next one should be up or up shortly. So again, I appreciate you guys' patience. Enjoy this, the finale to Punish Sember, and enjoy the greatness that is the Comic Book Dungeon podcast. Everybody, welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast, home of Punish Sember. I am one of your hosts, Mark, coming to you from the Punish Sember Dungeon. And I am your other host, Cruz, coming to you from the Punish Sember Kitchen. Kick ass. Yes. Punish Sember might be cold, but I like to be in the heat. Hey, that's awesome, because as you just heard, we are balls deep into Punish Sember right now, and because of our balls deepness in punish sember i got word that both uh kill raven and the much more talented mint julep are taking a break from the martian holocaust and we're going to be covering two episodes of the punisher christmas issues this episode outstanding i've been enjoying having frank castle around and i uh, can't wait to discuss uh his uh, 2004 and 2006 forays into the holidays Yes, this is going to be awesome. I think we're going to laugh, we're going to cry, and we're all going to learn as a community. It's going to be great. Exactly. Um, I'm going to just touch briefly on this, some, some new business. Again, we're seeing some good downloads. We're keeping a good download rate. But again, what I haven't been seeing are those iTunes reviews. And uh, we haven't gotten a lot of listener feedback. I know a lot of people are taking some time off from work, school, prison. 
what have you, just take a time, some time at comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. I really want to know, hey, do you have some fond Punisher memories from when you were a kid, rating, say, the Punisher summer special? Did you just go to the comic book store last week and you were raving about some great new book? Or... You're just some weird, lonely cat lady and just want to talk about, I don't know, whatever, like fucking murder she wrote. I don't care. Send us a letter and we will uh, we will talk about it on the air. Because, again, this is not just our podcast. This is a community. That's right. And if you happen to be that cat lady, send us a hairball. We'll dissect it on air. <laughs> oh, shit. Send that to care of Cruz to the <laughs> Oh, trust me. Don't worry. It won't go to waste. I have a dog that eats anything. Awesome. So you're feeding his dog, which is important. Yeah. Hey, Shadow needs food, too. I also just want to take a brief second to talk about, I don't think this is going to affect many or maybe any listeners, because I believe at least 90-something percent of our listeners are listening through iTunes. So we're going to be switching our podcast hosting service within the next month. So this might be the next last show. There might be one more show on the current hosting service but if you get our podcast google play or itunes i'm going to update the rss feed so it won't make any difference but if you linked directly to our rss feed from our website that is going to be changing but i'll put out some information on that on the feed to make sure to give you a link to switch over to the new feed before the old one is shut down but just keep that in mind. If, like, say, three weeks go by and you haven't heard a show, it means you're on the old feed. But I'll, I'll put something in, so I'll take everyone with us. And that's kind of why, after I did that first article, I never updated our website again because I knew we were going to be moving. And I'm not sure how, what the format of the new website is and how friendly it will be for content. I'm still, I've got it narrowed down between a couple hot, uh, podcast hosting services. But they're jacking up our monthly rate by, like, $15.00. So trying to find something that's a little bit more affordable for uh, you, the listener. So that's it. Just stay tuned for that. We've, we've enjoyed Podiant, but I think we're going to get something that's got a few more tools, bells and whistles, and a little bit more uh, cheaper. Can't wait. Mm, excited to see what happens. So what have you been up to, man? been reading a lot of comic books. I've had this thing on my, say, to-do list now since, I believe, 98. Did you ever play the original Grand Theft Auto? I played it for all of about, like, 20 minutes. It's it's much different from everybody just thinks of the 3D ones. I got to the very last level, because there's six levels in the original Grand Theft Auto, and I, I never beat it. So I still have the CD and the map and the instruction manual and, like, the case. So I just I put the ROM on my phone. You have to use the little map that it came with. So I've been going through the original Grand Theft Auto and just having a party. Oh, that sounds fun. Uh, I've been reading some comic books, been reading some of the other Punisher stuff, reading some current Marvel, and just some of the different various stuff I've gotten on sale from Comixology. Some good sales going on right now. Like, say, if you're a Red Sonja fan, I would snap those up. What about you? What have you been up to? <laughs> it's it's actually been a pretty uh, busy two or three weeks. I went to Disneyland last weekend, which was extremely fun. And I only had a ride It's a Small World once. So, hey. So, on that that, that ticket, my, uh, my four-year-old. Four-year-old. Okay, I don't know how many four-year-olds have ever done this shit. This kid is her daddy's daughter because she went on star tours at the age of four and loved every fucking minute of it and then said i want to go on space mountain went on space mountain with me 
freaking, I thought she was going to be freaked out, did the ride, looked at me and said, that was so fun, Dad. Can I go on a bigger one? Nice. Yeah, hardcore kid. Uh, did that, went to um, went to the uh, local drive-in theater because we're out in the sticks and we have stuff like that. Be jealous, I know. Saw I saw um, Justice League and Thor Ragnarok. And I can tell you, Justice League, it had potential to be something so much better. It lost something in the translation. Although I will say, um, what's his name? Jason Momoa, his uh, portrayal of Aquaman was fucking hilarious. It was awesome. They feel um, all the DC movies kind of kind of line up with that that sort of a review. I watched Wonder Woman a couple weeks ago, and it had some potential there, but it really fell short. You know, but by far the Wonder Woman one of the the modern DC superhero movies, that was the best one. It was and also that, the one that was most powered by love. <laughs> exactly. Like a Care Bear. Exactly. You know, she had that Care Bear stare move. Um, but yeah, that that was by far the one that did the best. And I mean, I've been trying to watch. I've watched all of the DC movies, and they they mess with what you expect to an extent that it makes it not fun. And I am by no means a puritanical uh, a comic book fan where if you're not staying 100% true to source material, I will cry foul. I understand different mediums require different things to make it work, and audiences change with time. The whole way the um, the Batmans went after Nolan's Batman and uh, Superman went when uh, I think it was Zack Snyder freaking rebooted it and... All that just it it it's it's been way too grim dark and I know Batman fucking essence of grim dark but it's just been way too just way too fucking brooding. Superman's not a brooding guy. He's a pretty cool guy. He's yeah. usually a pretty upbeat guy. No, they turn him into a brooding douche. Wonder Woman, she was okay. The the guy that played Flash in Justice League, he was pretty he was pretty fun. I'm not gonna say he was a super spot on Barry Allen, but he was good. Cyborg was good, and, and Jason Momoa's Aquaman stole the fucking show as far as I'm concerned. I can't wait for his standalone movie. It might have some potential to like, bring the DC cinematic universe back from the ashes. He was really good in Stargate Atlantis. He, I feel he did that same thing. He kind of brought it back and made it really kind of shook things up and made the show interesting. Yeah, I, I never saw him in anything until I watched Game of Thrones. And uh, he, where he played Kyle Drogo, and he spoilers died pretty much at the end of the first season or some shit like that. You so he played Antique Roadshow. <laughs> <laughs> no, he played Kyle Drogo. Okay. Kind of. And what? Did um, Antique Roadshow. Oh, okay. Yes, the Thor Ragnarok though. Thor Ragnarok was just a fun fucking amusement park ride of a movie. I'm not familiar with the Thor storyline. But Marvel and Disney have really, I'm not going to say knocked it out of the park, but I will say they know what their audience wants. And they, it's definitely not for like if you're a super hardcore fan into the, the original stories, I don't think it's for you. But if you're more casual, they're fucking great. And on top of that, they don't take themselves too seriously, which is what I think DC's biggest fault is. All of the freaking Marvel movies, um, at least Disney-backed ones, starting with Iron Man. I don't think Disney did Iron Man. No, they they that was the first Marvel Cinematic Universe to co- or the Marvel movie to come out of the Marvel Studios. 
Right. So so starting with freaking Iron Man all the way up to right now, they've really not taken themselves too seriously. I think Iron Man 3 got a little kind of freaking moody. But other than that, everything else has been, you know, we've got these larger than life characters. They, of course, have larger than life egos and larger than life freaking personalities. And let's just fucking roll with that. And Thor Ragnarok was fucking hilarious. I mean, especially the, you know, the part they put in the trailers where he runs into Hulk and he's like, I know him from work. Fucking great. Did you hear the Marvel Disney news? No. Uh, what's what's going on? Disney has purchased parts of 21st Century Fox for I think, oh, $52 yeah. billion. Dollars. Yes, I did hear about so, that. So, yeah, you will, uh, I think, start to see the X-Men and Fantastic Four creep into some Marvel movies. So I would love to see... Well, everybody assumes that I see the Marvel movies. I have seen parts of Thor and I have seen Iron Man. It's just I am that fan that you that people rightfully hate where since it doesn't match all the stuff that I've already read, I don't begrudge it being there. I think it's great for the industry, but... I don't think they're necessarily for me, but I think that they are well done. And like you said, that Marvel doesn't take itself too seriously. I think what's been the the golden ticket for Marvel, like the secret to their success, is DC gets writers and directors who have never read a comic book, or if they did, it was 20 years ago. Everybody at like Marvel Studios, you look at the writers and their directors. These are people who have been reading these comics since they were able to. And many of them have like, oh, you wrote? For a couple of years on this uh, on this series, great. Why don't you write us a screenplay for this? Oh, you re- uh, you've you've written for comics and in other things before. Great. We want you to direct this because you have your feet both in directing and in writing comic books. You can tell that they're not Hollywood people trying to make a comic book movie. They're comic book people trying to make a comic book movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there is definitely. I feel. Um... There's more of a feel that the people that made the Marvel movies from top to bottom were people that loved the content, you know, in some way, shape or form. They did. Ha- it feels like they had a, a personal investment in what they were doing. And it, it shines through. And, you know, I mean, hell, you could tell a freaking a DC uh, Justice League that, you know, Affleck really was not feeling freaking the whole Batman thing. And you can tell with a lot of those DC movies that these are people who, like, oh, they gave me a stack of comics to read, but I've never read this, like, a a comic book with these characters in it before. And I I think that that really shows versus, I mean, I think I can remember back to, it was 2008, I think, that Marvel was bought out by Disney. Everybody was a little bit concerned at first that Disney was going to, like, oh, these comics are too violent, we... We're going to start doing these editorial controls, but they, I think they did a good job of analyzing you guys create these, these concepts that could be worth millions or billions of dollars. We're going to let you continue to, ch- uh, to churn them out. And also, here's the money to make the movies you've always wanted to make. Right. And, and I'm not sure how much of a hand they have in um, some of the Netflix content that came out as far as Marvel properties, but... If you had any thoughts that they were having an issue with the violence, watch Daredevil. I mean, I fucking hurt after watching Daredevil. What I cannot wrap my head around with the Netflix series is that you had Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. 
and then they all banded together and called themselves the Defenders. None of them have ever been on an, a, a Defenders team. And if somebody write me in to correct me if maybe like they briefly in like the like late 70s were, because I know that team had a quickly rotating line of, of, of roster of heroes, but none of them, if, if they were, were on it for any significant period of time. And I just think that you you would at least... Would, I, it's just, it's weird to me why you wouldn't just say make up uh, a team. I, I know why, but it's just, it's it's funny. You got several characters who've never been associated with that team, and you have all these characters that have, and you just, you didn't even throw one in there. Right, right. Eh. I, I, I can say uh, it, I probably was mostly, and the reason you probably had was, it was just name recognition. Yeah. Yeah, and that was probably mostly it. I'm, but I'm surprised that if, if the name that would have made the most sense, it's Luke Cage and Iron Fist, they're most associated with Heroes for Hire. I mean, that was their business for years. Why they wouldn't have gone with Heroes for Hire? I think because the the Danny, oh, what's his freaking last name? Rand. Danny Rand. There you go. The, the, the Danny Rand portrayal that they went with an Iron Fist was someone that wouldn't wouldn't pimp himself out as a hero for hire. And Luke has always gotten kind of some shit for that, but I think it's by, like, people in the universe who really didn't know, there's, like, know him or the character. Because a lot of the times it was a, it was a way for him to network his services, but he would, there's so many issues where he ends up not getting paid or doing it for free. And it's, when he, it was the L Ewing run a few years ago of the Avengers when, uh, it was the no white males on the team, and it was such a fucking kick-ass run. But there was an Avengers hotline. And we saw Cap do something like that before, but it was cool having this Avengers hotline, and it was just it was the same thing. People, you know, I'm just this nobody. I need help. I need super-powered help. I don't know who to turn to. And you would, bam, get this, like, all-star Avengers team in to help you. And that's what I've always liked about Luke Cage. Luke Cage is, if he's not my favorite Avenger, he is one of my favorite Avengers. The shit that he's done with the Avengers team is super cool. I remember in an early New Avengers series, he had this great he because when he joined the team, it was under the condition that like he's like I want to do uh, things differently that we've never done before, Captain America. I have ideas and I want to be heard. And one of them was he just picked this this neighbor this high crime neighborhood in Detroit, and it was him and all these costume Avengers just walked through it. And the whole idea is based on. Well, you do this community level involvement with with cops or volunteers, and even after the people leave, it sends this message that the neighborhood is being watched. If you can get that with police, what would happen if you had you know Wolverine and Cap walk through a neighborhood? And it was just that street level stuff that he would never, you know, like they're fighting cosmic level stuff, and like they're in the middle of a scroll invasion, but he's worrying about you know, like the the old cat lady down the street, and that's what I've always liked about Luke Cage. Yeah, I can I can see that. They they definitely did uh, carry that on into the uh, the Netflix series where he he was just more concerned with a a street level, as you said, involvement. You know, and, and you know the Netflix series. This is still his infancy as a hero. Does uh did they work in his catchphrase? What's his catchphrase? Sweet Christmas. You know what? I think it's been said. Yes. And I heard I think Misty Knight said. is in it too. Yeah, Misty Knight's in it. Is she dating uh, Iron Fist? No. No, Misty Knight 
and, and you know they do that sometimes. They'll put a character with a, a name from the comic book in in a completely different position. So I'm not sure how it transfers from the comic book because I'm not familiar at all with Iron Fist. Uh, Misty Knight in the Netflix series is a detective, and I'm oh, sorry, not Iron Fist. Iron Fist and Luke Cage. There's so much crossover between those series too. It was, it's got a really nice um, continuity going on with the Netflix series. Um, yeah, she is a Harlem-based detective that eventually gets promoted to a citywide squad. And in the final battle in the Defenders, and uh, spoilers, she uh, she gets her freaking arm chopped off. Yeah, that that happened in the, the comics. She lost an arm, and Tony Stark makes a replacement bionic arm for her. Yeah, it, it's alluded that um, Danny Rand has... Uh, as a really nice freaking medical facility and that he offered to help pay for her treatment, but she said she'd think on it and that's kind of where the series uh, left off. So it would be cool if they continued and did something like that. In her first few appearances, you'll never guess who her roommate was. She used to live with Jean Grey. Oh shit. (laughs) And is Colleen Wing in the series? Colleen Wing Wing is in the uh, Iron Fist series. Yes. She was a member of the Hand, and eventually switched allegiances once she saw what the Hand was really up to. You'll never guess who she dated for a period of time. Luke Cage. No, Cyclops. Really? Yes. When there is this point in time where the X Men get separated in the Savage Land, and Beast and Jean think the rest of the X Men are dead. And the rest of the X-Men think Bean, or Jean and Beast are dead. And they meet up with, with Colleen Wing and Luke Cage and whatnot. And he, Cyclops, uh, there's definitely chemistry between him and Colleen. And they, they kind of go out a little bit until he finds out that, uh, that Jean is still alive. Ah. Yeah, so deep diving back into some late 70s Chris Claremont issues there. I always nice. thought that would be cool if they, they rekindled that post uh post gene gray but i'm apparently the only person who thinks that would be interesting talking about that dc stuff this is going to make you so mad do you know what my favorite dc movie is which one man of steel uh yeah i think we've had this discussion (laughs) fuck you (laughs) there's no way that superman would go and snap someone's neck off like that and freaking do that much collateral damage or allow that much collateral damage. I just want to say that one of the only people who's been killed by Superman in the comics is General Zod. So it's not that they didn't really stray from the the content or the original content. Yeah, true. True. Uh, I'll concede you, I'll concede that point. However, I think I think they went too hard and too fast with uh, Man of Steel. I don't disagree with that. I like that they they kind of broke loose and made and kind of reimagined a more modern day Superman, which is that something I've always liked about DC that they're not afraid to reimagine some of their characters over time. And I've loved so much of the Elseworlds stuff that they've done, like the the Soviet Superman and yep. uh, yeah, yeah, uh, super yeah. I, that's one of my favorite stories. Did you ever read the uh, the, the Batman the Green Lantern Batman? No, I have not. When you come out this way, I'll have to dig it up. I have the print one. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll I'll take a look. Yeah, sounds fun. I haven't read DC in a few years. I wouldn't mind sticking my toe back in there. Yeah, I, I've got a pretty good collection of. I, I say probably uh, 
94 to about 96 runs on Superman and some, well, er everything revolving around the, the death of Superman. I've pretty much got everything that happened for those two years, every issue. And, uh, I've got a bunch of the Elseworld stuff and a bunch of Batman stuff and a bunch of other random ones, uh, Superboy and Robin. I freaking really got a kick out of back then. Yeah, I uh, I never read a lot of DC growing up, and then I left Marvel, I think in like '08, over the brand new day Spider-Man stuff, and then I I hit DC with a vengeance. I like got cut up on like just years and years and years of all the major events and backstories. Read the entire run of like the Volume Two Flash and. I got in, caught up just in time for a few months after getting caught up, <laughs> them doing the new 52, and it was just like, man, I love the, the uh, Justice Society. Well, they don't exist anymore. I love Wally West. He doesn't exist anymore. Really love Donna Troy. Well, you really love somebody who doesn't exist, because none of this shit matter happened anymore. Fuck you. Yeah. Which is, I, I love that, I love Marvel's solution to the, things are getting a little unwieldy some of the stuff like doesn't make sense anymore like do you know how reed richards first met sue sue storm no when he was an officer an intelligence officer in world war Two. so that that's one of the few things that they've retconned over time and i remember they just retconned it again a few years ago and people got really mad but they kind of had to because he had the the when they updated it when John Byrne updated it in the eighties he had this real creepy Roy Moore esque uh, relationship with Sue Storm he was running a like a room in a house from Sue's aunt I believe and so Sue was like thirteen and Reed was like nineteen and she was like crushing on Reed and he it's, it's not like he did anything he waited until she was legal but there was definitely like chemistry flying between the two of them that is. That is not a good story. That is not. That's not what you want to imagine. Yeah, Reed counting the days until yeah. like Sue's uh, Sue's legal. So I'm glad. I was glad that that got retconned a little bit. It it just it doesn't paint him in the best light. No, no, it does not. That's definitely a. Uh, yeah, that's uh, a little borderline there. So uh, speaking of Roy Moore, how's your faith in humanity feeling? I mean, I'm. I have kind of a couple couple or i'm of two different minds on this like one i mean it's good that he didn't get elected but let's be it's not like it was a landslide victory over a pedophile it was pretty fucking close it was okay too close it was it was closer than it should have been but uh i heard i think it was lindsey graham uh another republican senator had said something and i don't usually agree with anything that lindsey graham has said but i thought he made a good point and he actually he he changed my mind and i wanted roy moore to get elected because having him elected would kind of totally uh, annul the uh, uh the republicans ability to claim a higher majority a yeah. higher higher morality than anyone else either way i think that that that's destroyed but yeah with with the 2018 elections less than a year away he had said something like if he wins we're going to give during those 2018 elections we're going to give the democrats a thousand talking points and he yep. was absolutely right I, it's still it's going to have an impact i think this tax bill and roy moore are going to just be anchors around Republicans' necks. Oh, and of course, the big orange anchor in the White House. But I think that <laughs> if he had made it in, I don't think he would have been sworn in, or I think that they would have removed him 
eventually from office. So I think it, yeah, it's good that that what's his name, Doug Jones. Yeah, Doug Jones. I I mean, he seems like a a great guy, so I'm glad he got voted in. But I mean, that would have just been just this pervasive turd that never would have gone away. That they that Republicans could have never flushed from there from their their worldview but i don't I, again i think he's still there so it's it's good that he didn't win what are your thoughts uh, my thoughts are yes it's good he didn't win i agree that if he did win it would have been an albatross around the, the republicans republicans neck for sure that being said you know with doug jones winning and, and he, he does seem like a pretty decent guy i've, I've heard a couple of interviews with him you know, uh, you can definitely see a, a lot of the uh, Machiavellian moves involved in not seating him as quickly as possible before this tax bill gets freaking launched. And it's one thing I, I keep seeing more and more is as I pay more and more attention to it is, you know, one side tries to seems to try to play by the rules and uh, the uh, other side seems to say, fuck you guys and cry foul every time they perceive a slight injustice, which is kind of snowflakey now that I think about it. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I was, was going to say, I think one thing that you have to look at with the modern Republican Party, it's – and I, I hate saying something is true of, say, one political party and not true of the other because I think most things are true of politicians across the board. But what I think – where I think that the, the Republicans are at right now, it's – you heard this a lot before the 2016 election. They kept saying that this is going to be the last election. And I, definitely they were being overdramatic, but I think in, some, in, in one way they were right. I think every year what keeps putting Republicans in office are voters over 60. And every year more of those voters either die or are unable to vote anymore. And if you look at voters, say, under 40 and then under 30 and then under 25, each group gets more and more liberal. So I think that they absolutely are realizing that they're in this end that the end game for them is is fast approaching that soon they're going to hit a point where those numbers those elderly numbers that they've always depended on that oh we'll scare them with uh, race tactics oh we'll scare them with immigrants oh we'll scare them with they're going to take your guns that's not going to work or oh we're going to see like the, the gays are scary that's that's they're getting to a point where that's not going to work anymore and all that stuff that doesn't fly with say people under 30 those are going to be the voters that are going to start to make those big decisions so i think they were right when they're like this might be our last election to get a republican in because once grandma and grandpa aren't voting anymore it's going to be the, i think you're going to see a reformed republican party in the next 10 years where gay marriage and abortion aren't nearly as so big of a deal so I think that that's why you've seen a lot of Republicans acting the way they are this year. There's been so much of the, I don't care about tomorrow. I'm going to burn bridges tomorrow to get this bill in today. Because, again, they realize that they might not have a chance in 2018 or 2020 anymore, but we don't care. The house is on fire. It doesn't like we got to we got to get what we want now. And I think that's where they're coming from. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to agree with you there. I, uh, the only part I'll I'll disagree with is I don't think. Oh, two points. I don't think that the uh, the right really is going to reform itself, and, and mainly because a lot of the uh, a lot of the base of the right is definitely coming from that evangelical freaking side, and uh, with that, they're still going to keep getting young people that believe half of the drivel. You're in a more urban area, I think, 
And yeah, uh, I mean, I'm I'm like 25 minutes from Detroit. Right, exactly. And, and that's definitely probably a more liberal part of the country. Unfortunately, where I'm at and people I work with are a whole bunch of freaking conservative douchebags that have fucking Make America Great Again bumper stickered all over their fucking diesel trucks. Are they are they listeners to this podcast? I could give less than a shit. I, I, say, <laughs> I think that you're probably an asshole politically for supporting Trump, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't give us a five-star review. So why don't you do that now <laughs> before listening to the rest of the podcast? Yeah. I'm yeah. a whore. <laughs> Absolute whore. <laughs> it's the best kind. You, you are a whore with conviction. Oh, man, but we have been digressing. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's political simber. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I do enjoy reading these Punisher, Punisher books, and every time I read it, I think this is – while the Punisher is a really fun character, this is like a conservative's wet dream. It's the good guy with the gun. Read some of his 80s stuff. Where his like vo- his second volume, it's all. Can you believe liberals want to waste time with the trial? I have this guy's trial by jury right here, like papa, and just. It's, but then it's like some of his first adventures in that series are going after these like, yeah, we hate uh, Mexicans. Like we're going to run all the immigrants out of the country, and Frank just killing them and taking their guns. So I absolutely agree with you that it's definitely. We're both pretty liberal guys. We agree, agree in due pro, like with due process. But there's just something so fun about uh, watching Frank just completely trample on these people's civil rights. But again, it's because in the Marvel universe, everybody he shoots is a bad guy, and there is no shade of gray. And it's real life doesn't work that way. But it's yeah. fun to see. It's it's fun to get into that escapist violence. It's like watching a Rambo movie. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, after last last uh, last uh, episode, I I went and I tried to watch uh, Demolition Man, and I can't find a fucking streaming service that has it, man. And I, it, I'm, <laughs> <surprised>. <laughs> I'm on the verge of just freaking shelling out and fucking renting it off of Vudu or freaking Amazon at this point, just because I want to watch that movie again. That would be a fun way, because I know some podcasts like stream and like what or like they they they'll do commentary that people can match up with with the show and i gotta say i'm not totally surprised but i'm a little surprised that uh demolition man is not on there yeah i just checked hulu it's not there no it's not it's not on hulu it's 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 not well i mean you can stream it on amazon but you have to rent it yeah it's not on netflix you'd have to go to uh probably like like either amazon for sure or voodoo might have it uh to rent which I yeah I might do that I might stay up late one night and say screw it and do it I mean I got bored and I watched Iron Man again a couple nights ago. Have you watched the show Into the Badlands? I've got it in my Netflix queue, I believe. It's without giving anything away. The one conceit of the show is there's no guns. Like all the guns were destroyed. They don't really get into it. There's just one line in the first episode about that. So all the violence is martial arts esque or. Through, uh, through, say, a crossbow or a sword. So for all of you conservatives out there, like you said, the good guy with a gun or we're not, this is why we need guns, there's plenty of easy ways to continue to murder a lot of people quickly without guns. So you should watch <laughs> that show. It will make you happy. Outstanding. I like gratuitous violence. Oh, it's, it's a good show. I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, 
I might get to it. I still have the Runaways to catch up on, which uh, I took a little hiatus from that because the wife and I have been so freaking busy. And I still have uh, Punisher. I'm still watching on Netflix. I still haven't finished that season yet. Uh, amongst a couple other things that I, I'm interested in watching. You're catching up on the Punisher show? I've been on and off the last few years reading the the early issues of the Punisher. I'm in, like, I think 1990 now. I They just started... Uh, the second or his his spinoff series, Punisher War Journal, having a lot of fun with it. I read a couple of the Punisher War Journal ones back in the day. Yeah, good. I mean, they the writing gets really or stays consistently pretty good. I think into the uh, the nineties. Eventually, nineties Mar- Marvel, like anything, screws it up. Like he becomes the dawn of a crime family, and then he becomes like an angel, like a Punisher for God, like dumb stuff like that. It wasn't until Warren Ellis. Or I'm sorry, Garth Ennis came on, I think, in 2001 and really brought it back to its ultraviolet roots. And if you've anybody out there hasn't read those, the I think the volume one's called Welcome Back, Frank. Those are the best Punisher stories. If you want to see like the quintessential Punisher, those issues are so gory, so violent. They're just they're everything you want them to be. They're badass. Nice. So now that we're back on track talking about the Punisher, how about we uh, move into this 2004 Christmas special? Yes, Punisher Red Christmas. It was published in uh, December or Punish December 22nd, 2004. Story by Jimmy Pelamati and Justin Gray. Pencils by Mark Texiera. Inks by Jimmy Pelamati. So he he wrote and inked it. Awesome. Colors by Raul. Traverero and lettering by VCs Randy Gentile. And if I butchered or mangled anybody's name, if you write in, I will correct it. Or just, hey, whatever, just let me know. <laughs> I must say, I I really do like this cover page. I, I would say, out of all all three issues that we've covered, well, with the one we're about to cover after this, I think this one is the most striking. It's 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 great. Yes, yeah. In, in this one, you've got a uh, Frank. In a Santa suit, the front of it's open, so you can see, you know, his white skull on black shirt, and uh, he he's sitting like one of the little Salvation Army Santas that you see uh, typically in a movie set in New York around Christmas time. He's got the cool little tripod with the little bucket, and he's got a little bell. Yeah, it's the Charity Legion. <laughs> I think they wanted to shy away from the Salvation Army. Which... Fucking trademarks. Anybody out there, don't ever give fucking money to the Salvation Army. They're a fucking horrible organization that treats its people like shit. They're a a religious-based organization, and they do a lot of... They have a bad history with women and the the LGBT community as well. They are not... Just Google it. They've they've done some shady shit. If you want to help the poor, there's a lot lot better secular alternatives out there. Because, man, again... It's funny for people who talk this much about the Punisher, we're quite liberal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good secular organization. I think one of them that I, I've been hearing a lot about would be Modest Needs. If you're interested yes. in looking around there. Good call. Okay, but yeah, I, so, I'm sorry, I, I got us on my that liberal soapbox again. Don't worry, I will I will guide us back to track. Okay, you are definitely the the one with the vast database of knowledge. Uh, but you also go off on a tangent every once in a while. But I, I'll, I'll gently steer us back on track. I would, if I had to describe me in this podcast, I would say weaponized ADHD. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, going on to page one. 
Oh, I just want to. Say, did we cover that he's? It, it's it's a, a Times Square in the background. Um, oh I no, like we did not. Yeah, it's it's clearly Times Square. Yeah, yep. you got the jumbotron, dude. Yep. Great cover. Great attention to that background. Absolutely. On to page one. Yes. Also, great attention to lighting on that cover. I must say. Oh, excellent. Yes, that good point. So, page one. Oh, just just to get off track for one second. <laughs> Again, like last week, this is on Marvel Unlimited. So for anybody out there who has Marvel Unlimited, well, if you don't, you should have it. It's It costs less than Netflix, and you get thousands of thousands of comic books that you can read. But this is on Marvel Unlimited, so we're going to keep with these page covers. So they page one, according to Marvel or, or Comixology, is actually the cover. So even though this is the first interior page, it's really page two. But again, follow along with us. I think you'll get more out of it. Or just buy it off of Comixology. It's probably $1.99. It's worth it. Go. We'll be here when you get back. Go fucking get your your tablet or your phone and read this. Yeah, just press pause. Trust me. We won't go anywhere. We'll stay until you press play. Promise. Don't promise that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have no choice. So yeah, we we open up on uh, the page two here with the it's Tiffany's in New York, and we see a bell ringing Santa. He's a yoked bell ringing Santa, okay? Yes, but he's looking padded out. So, <laughs> so yeah, you got the bell ringing Santa. It's a, a nice snowy night, and uh, you see basically four very dapper gentlemen crossing the street, uh, heading towards the Santa. Yeah, many of them with fine hats. Fine hats. They're fine gentlemen. Yeah, Santa asks if they want to help the poor. They get a little lippy. Yeah, they get a little lippy with a help them yourself. And then the other one says the worst possible thing you can say to a Santa in New York, in Punish December. He says, <laughs> I don't believe in Santa. Yeah, we see on that last panel that Santa, he gives an oh, you will, and we see two skulls in his eyes. Yes. Then we get the a great splash page on page three. <laughs> Old Saint Nick here wasn't uh, was the Punisher in disguise, and we this is definitely the image that that the cover was based off of. His suit is open. We see the skull, and he uh, he mows down these four guys just like nothing. The the beautiful part is, and I didn't catch it till just now, in the uh, upper left corner of the splash, uh, you see he reaches into the donation bucket to get his gun. <laughs> yes, he just had that hidden the whole time. I, this is a great shot. We see behind the Punisher, there's a, a woman with two children. So he's just opening up on these guys I mean, with, like, with, with civilians 10 feet from him. So like last issue, he does not give a fuck that he is traumatizing children. Yeah. The message from this point on is that no quarter will be given and no fucks will be given, and that just it continues the whole issue like this. (laughs) Also, what made this page for me was those two lower panels with the the child crying, "Why, Mama?" and just without breaking stride, the Punisher doesn't even look at him because they were naughty. (laughs) (laughs) This uh, this one definitely had a lot of great one-liners in it. Oh, he was in rare form. Oh, yeah. These were definitely writers who, who really understood the Punisher and the tone of the comic. I, I yeah. enjoyed this issue a lot. But next page. Page four. Christmas. Yes, page four. Follow along. Don't be tardy. 
page four. It's Christmas Day, and we're at Rinaldi Funeral Parlor in Gravesend, Brooklyn. Never been there. Been I was to Brooklyn. Ask. I've been in Brooklyn, lived in Brooklyn. I never went to Gravesend that I recall. But is there a Gravesend in Brooklyn? <sighs> Potentially, but I'm not sure. It seems like a really morbid name. I, I can't I say. Live, I think I live about an hour, an hour and a half from Hell, Michigan. Sometimes I don't know what people are thinking. <laughs> Go on. Gravesend, Brooklyn. Yeah, it's a neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York. It's real. It's yeah. got a population of 29,436 as of 2010. Thank you, phone. We didn't even skip a beat. All right. Google for the win. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, apparently there is a uh, funeral going on for a lot of, uh, for some gentlemen. And uh, there are a lot of people with very fine hats. And they're discussing the hit we just saw on the previous uh, pages. I, I believe that this is supposed to be those those people's funeral, but they but there's five people who were hit, and the art clearly shows there were only four on those last two pages. Right. Yeah. You're you're absolutely correct. So I'm just wondering if that was just a goof with uh, uh in the art department. I uh, yeah I think so, but yeah yeah because that makes a lot more sense with the story arc. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as they go in, uh, <laughs> as you go in, you, you see uh, these uh, five uh, ladies uh, that are sitting there. But there's only four caskets. So, five, yeah, <laughs> we're going to be stuck on these fucking numbers, dude. Yeah, so these five ladies are sitting at the funeral. You know, four caskets, five wives, and it, it turns into fucking married to the mob. One was a Mormon. Well, that would explain. The yeah. Lobsters was a Morbin, yes. Yeah, okay, that works. So, oh. yeah, okay, go on. No, I was going to say, go go ahead. You're describing the uh, the the widows. Right, yeah, and uh, apparently one of them rather books someone who seems not at all appropriately dressed for a funeral, if I may say. I, I'm glad you pointed that out. The The thigh-high boots were a, uh, a bold choice. She's sometimes drawn with them, sometimes drawn without them. Right, yeah. She uh, she tells the uh, grieving wives, because everyone else is uh, bowing their heads in prayer, and she is not. And she's like, ladies, ten minutes, bathroom, go. Yeah, they go to the bathroom, and they discuss that Uncle Dominic, he's flying up from Florida. Well, we see this. This is some exposition going on. And he's the last male member of the family left. We see the woman who's not appropriately dressed. Her name is Aunt Regina, and she's... Burying her third husband killed by the Punisher. And so she meets with the widows downstairs. She wants to make a power play. She wants to take over the business. She's going to let Dominic take care of some of the, the dirty work, but she wants to take over the business side of things with the rest of the widows. Right. So moving on to page five, they, uh, they continue oh, just, this. Oh. Just, just want to hit before we move on. She has a, She says she has a plan to deal with the Punisher, but she needs money. So she's... She's trying to hit them up for some financial assistance. Yeah. You know what's refreshing? To have a female drawn that doesn't look absolutely deranged. <laughs> they, they definitely look a bit different from Camilla for, uh, Frost from Kill Raven. So, yeah, it's nice to see somebody with, yeah, with more neutral features. Yeah, yeah. It actually, like, the, the, the range of emotion they draw out is actually pretty, pretty good. I can understand. Yeah, so yeah. she... Uh, Aunt Regina is hitting up uh, the gals for some money, and uh, she's asking for five hundred grand each. 
Yeah, and I, I pu- plug that into a re- an inflation calculator. So five hundred grand in two thousand four money is five hundred large in two thousand seventeen. <laughs> oh, I, 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 inflation's a bitch. Yes. Yeah. So basically, she's uh, hiring an assassin that goes by the name of Suspiria, or Suspiria. I don't know. That, that's that's what I got out of that too with Suspiria. Now, is is this a character that exists anywhere else in the Marvel universe, or is this a one shot character? I believe this is a one shot character, and she uh, she's more. It seems like she's more of a a mob legend, like an urban uh, myth, because the several of the widows don't believe that she's real. Right. You know who she reminds me of, uh, and uh, this will require a little DC knowledge. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. No, that's more the mummy. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hope he's um, not a listener. I hope not. Hate to give her a heart attack and we lose that seat. Um, <laughs> damn it, Ruth, live. Um, uh, if you're familiar with the Batman part of the DC universe, um, the Huntress. Yes. If I remember correctly. Yes. The, the costume. The costume, the mob background, all that stuff. Except the Huntress was more vigilante with a special focus on mob uh, activity. Whereas uh, Suspiria is apparently there's some sort of a slight vigilante backstory to her, but then she goes full Merc. I'm not sure. In the Punisher's original appearances in the 1970s, at least when he first debuted in Amazing Spider-Man 129, he was more of a hitman with a conscience. It wasn't until they kind of later developed that he his backstory of his family getting killed and him waging a war on crime. Ah. So she 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 sounds a little bit more like that Bronze Age Punisher. Right. Okay. So that was page five. Moving uh, moving on to page six, uh, the ladies continue this uh, rather long bathroom break. And they go into uh, who exactly this Suspiria is. And apparently she uh, completely wiped out a rival family back in Sicily. And she's been on retainer by this crime family. Yes. And Regina lets them know that for $2.5 million, she's willing to be in New York for in the next 48 hours. Right. And uh, one of the ladies has a, has a little bit of an objection to it. And she's kind of saying she, she wants out. She's got kids going to college. It's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. It's five hundred grand each. And uh, you know, Aunt Regina says, "says Hey, who do you think the Punisher is going to go after next? This isn't about us. This is about, this is about protecting our family's future." Which it, it's definitely there's some some scare tactics there. If the kids went into the business, yeah, Punisher's going to take them out. But like her, she says, her kid's going to go to college. If he went off and was an orthodontist, the Punisher's not going to like kick down his door while he's putting on some kid's braces and shoot him. Uh, the Punisher has a very clear code. The innocent are safe. He's going to shoot the guilty. He doesn't usually go after wives and children. Or and dental hygienists. At this point, I noted a, a, that this, this story sounded a bit familiar and they did a similar story arc in the 2007 Punisher Max series where it's uh, it's a I can't remember. It's either a wife or wives band together and they 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 try to take out the yeah, I think it is several wives. They band together, but they try to take out the Punisher themselves. Oh, that would be fun. 
So this, this is a little bit different take, but some of the stuff with the Punisher, it gets tread on a few times. Like the worst trope I hate with the Punisher is the everyone he ever served with in Vietnam, it seems, has come back and now they're dirty or they're a drug dealer or they're a gun runner. And it's like it was everybody in his platoon has been now like a bad guy that the Punisher has to face later on. But yeah, this is so this is a trope that got tread on a little bit later, but it's definitely it's a little bit different. And I think that both both times they did it pretty well. Right. So uh, I guess we're on page six now. Yes. Cut to Tarmenia. Tarmina. Yeah, I think Tormenia. Yeah. Tormina, Sicily. And, uh, you know, you get a phone call, some talking in Italian, which I am not fluent in at all. Would it be Italian or Sicilian? I don't know. Maybe Sicilian. Yeah, usually in a, a comic, whenever you see somebody speaking a foreign language, you'll get a little caption that will let you know. Or it's, oh, we'll translate this from the blank language. But yeah, so they, we didn't get that, which is kind of a bold choice. Right, but I mean, I think they left enough to clue anybody in just to just to get some context. Basically, the, the fourth panel, and she she says, you know, ciao, you know, a my American cousin, how may I help you? So, you know, and the, the name Suspiria is mentioned, you know, Suspiria Telefono, which, okay, I can speak a little bit of Spanish. That's basically Suspiria Telephone. Cool. So, uh, yeah, she gets a phone call. It's uh, shown that it's her cousin calling her. And your next, uh, you get like a lower half of the page splash, and uh, it shows them uh, arriving uh, at uh, Kennedy Airport within uh, 48 hours. Just a quick editor's note here. Most people speak a messy mix of Italian and Sicilian. Basically, Italian with Sicilian words stuck in it. This is what people speak in in, uh, Sicily. So to the Italian speaker, real Sicilian is completely incomprehensible, far different. So it sounds like that most Sicilians are going to have kind of a hodgepodge or a mix of both languages. Uh, okay. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask you, the woman who who gets Suspiria and lets her know that there's a phone call, what do you think her relationship is with Suspiria? I gotta say, I think she might be like hired help. Definitely, she seems to be some sort of subordinate yeah, or definitely. assistant. I'm just looking at the body language and kind of how she's drawn and dressed. I was wondering if there was maybe something sexual there. Or I might be just projecting that. that Because of just how open and free we see she is later. I don't know. They don't flesh yeah. it out, but I was wondering if some of that is implied. I, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't really catch that vibe. You know, I, I definitely caught a little a little bit of a more subservient kind of thing. And, oh, and maybe definitely. there might be a, you know, a, 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 little, a little dominatrix type stuff going on later on, which the costume might allude to. But, yeah, I mean, you see the, the, the four panels interly. There's nothing really that cues you into that. But uh, on the fifth panel, on the, the, the lower half page splash, you, you definitely see, you know, uh, what's her name? Suspiria is just casually strolling off the freaking plane with a, a trench coat in her hands in her pockets and this short-haired blonde chick with her who never i don't think she even gets a name until maybe later i don't think she's ever named yeah she she's pretty much freaking weighed down with all the luggage and she's just dragging it behind her and she, she has a very harried look on her face yeah she she definitely looks like she doesn't want to be there no absolutely which we'll see why later <laughs> but, <sighs> yeah Page 8, New Year's Eve, 6 p.m. 
we get a great, great visual here. We get, it's, it's a double page splash, but then we have a bunch of little panels kind of asymmetrically oriented around the Punisher. Looks really cool. It was a really cool choice to do that. Really, really cool set. I, I keep saying cool, but it is a really cool page or double pages. Frank, he's casing a strip club where we mentioned Uncle Dominic before he came up from Florida to assume the, uh, the the family or to take over the family business. He's inside. Punisher scopes two guards out front, and the and Dominic is inside doing business. This is a strip club that they're doing business uh, behind the stage. So Punisher, he was just he's weary of possible civilian casualties if he blows up the just he blows up the place. So he decides on a frontal assault. That totally seems like a really good decision. Yep, it's really awesome. He just walks in the front door. Um, yeah, and the guy asks him for the cover. And is um, yes for a twenty dollar cover in exchange, he gets a knuckle sandwich. No, if you he it because that's what I thought too that it, it looked like that he was. Oh he no, has a there's knife, a knife. Stabs him right through the neck without even looking, just turning, just without turning and looking, just. To the side, stabs that guy in the throat. Yeah, I guess Frank was trying to make a point. Yeah, the other guard asks, asks what's wrong with Charlie because he's just on the floor. Uh, Frank tells him he's dead just like you and just opens up on him. Nice. Very bold. Very just, just bold entrance. This is classic Punisher. Well, this is a frontal assault, so yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, we get a... Quick note, though. The, the name of the crime family was the Napolitano, the Napolitano crime family. For some reason, my brain always wants to translate that to Neapolitan because I keep thinking about ice cream. Sorry. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Last aside, with Neapolitan ice cream, do you eat one scoop at a time or do you oh, eat it across? Damn it. You... <sighs> okay, first of all, as as I'm sure where we've both heard this discussion... Uh, <laughs> Neapolitan is pretty much garbage ice cream. Okay. Agreed. But I, I think you really have to be a true fucking barbarian if you scoop across. No, you have to be a fascist if you eat each flavor at a time. No, because all you do when you scoop across is you get three flavors of disappointment mixed into one fucking bowl of regret. <laughs> That's how it's meant to be eaten. <laughs> if it was meant to be eaten individually, then you'd have a fucking carton of vanilla, a fucking carton of chocolate, and a fucking carton of uh, no. strawberry. No, Neo Don't segregate that shit. You segregate it. Neapolitan ice cream is meant for birthday parties where there are kids that like different flavors. You don't mash all, mash all that shit together. You if fuck. that were true, then why wouldn't there be other, like, oh, here's strawberry peach and uh peanut butter if it was just oh it's convenient to put three flavors together no they're meant to be mixed together in a tasteless glass <laughs> it's a tasteless bowl of regret that's freaking slowly melted due to my fucking tears as i eat that shit like i'm done just just i'm hanging up finish this and all of you who eat it one at a time unsubscribe it's over Dream's <laughs> over no, no, the no, dungeon no. is closed. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, the dungeon will bar its doors for those people that freaking scoop across like savages. I mean, fuck. You know, you already have to bear the fucking indignity of eating Neapolitan. You might as well do it with a measure of fucking grace. Did you just say that you're going to segregate us out? You're going to put us into camps? You're going to, like, 
What you're gonna you're gonna mark us and like put some sort of mark on us to identify us to the rest of the population? Motherfucker, I'm gonna build a wall between the chocolate, vanilla, and the strawberry. Okay. <laughs> Man, we're just <laughs> we're. You can tell Christmas is around the corner. We're just, we're just nuts. It's fun, but this is why I usually love that in podcasts. All the different fun aside. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so the Punisher, he fucking killed the two guards. Summary notices that hey, here's this armed guy coming in. Tries to stop him. Punisher again, just, just give just. No hesitation. He's walking across the the stripper stage and shoots the guy down. No fucks given. Yep, which takes us to page nine. So, yeah, page nine, it sounds like, uh, you know, the guys doing business in the back of the strip club are catching wind that there's a fucking maniac loose killing everybody. He's definitely, he's doing business with a, a guy from out of town. He's wearing a cowboy hat. He's not a New York regular. <laughs> right and uh you know he sends his boy he tells his boys to get out there and kill the son of a bitch basically yep and so now in the the main dance area the punisher's in a pitched firefight with these mob shooters right and uh you know they get their reinforcements out by the main stage yeah and rather than get flanked uh frank decides to do the best thing he can do which is you know drop two grenades in the middle of the floor and say catch it's a great scene, but for a guy who a page and a half ago was worried about civilian casualties and collateral damage, dropping a couple grenades in the middle of the room where you can still see. I don't know if there, how many civ- civvies are left, but there's at least one stripper still there. She's dre- It's funny because we see the guy dressed as a cowboy. The stripper on stage has a lasso, and she's also dressed as a cowboy. In honor of her distinguished guest, I would assume. I would have to say probably if she was describing her attire, it would probably be sexy cowboy. That's probably how she sold it. Exactly. Yeehaw. Yes. So, yeah. Gone? Oh, go ahead. (laughs) It's a plate Punisher podcast. Yep. Go punish us. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So Punisher's in a firefight. He throws those grenades. He takes out the shooters. So Dominic's still talking to the, the cowboy in the back office. This is a great, great strategy by the Punisher. He sends in a decoy. He sends in one of the shooters bound but wearing his his Punisher shirt, the decoy. So they send him in, and without hesitating, the shooters left in the office, they all open fire on him. And while they're they're looking at the guy on the ground, piecing together that they've they've been had... The Punisher uses the stripper's lasso, sends it through the open door, grabs the cowboy, and yanks him out. Pure irony. Great. Again, it's so ridiculous, but it's it's so over the top. It's just so fun. I love it. Right. So, yeah, so he lasses out, boy, as we move over to page 10. Yes. Uh our businessmen, our fine businessmen, are discussing what the hell's going on here, and everyone's starting to kind of freak out. Well, yeah, it's it looks like Dominic's the last real main guy left here. Everybody else is just a shooter. Right. Yeah, because he asked the security guys to help, and they basically said, I, "You don't pay me enough for this shit, bitch." Later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're they said that they're bar bouncers. They're gonna go out and confront the Punisher because he told them to. Exactly. Uncle Uncle Dom or Uncle D or whatever the fuck this guy's name is says I might as well just kill him myself. Gone. 
I was going to say, yeah, they, they stay in the office out of a sense of self-preservation, but it doesn't help. Yeah, so he goes on threatening to go kill him, and uh, Frank uh, basically says, you wouldn't deny me that pleasure, and you get that typical steely-eyed, skull-freaking-eyeballed Punisher with uh, his usual one-liner of uh, any last words, Uncle D, and then he just cuts loose. Yeah, just totally, again, with the knife. It's a nice... It's- very long knife. Yeah, just stabs him in the throat, off panel. So, but uh, Uncle Dominic is dead. He's either stabbed in the throat or had his throat slashed. It's unclear, but definitely he's no more. Yeah. Uncle D is done. Yeah, Uncle D is Uncle Dead. Yep. That takes us to page 11. It's Times Square, 11.40 p.m., still New Year's Eve. Yep. So, if anybody's ever watched the aging mummy, uh, Dick Clark... Dick Clark does not age, okay? They just take him out of the embalming fluid every holiday season and have him host the show. He's uh, he's next to Walt Disney in the freezer. They just take him out on special occasions. Exactly. So, if you've ever seen the Times Square show, I think it's Ryan Seacrest who does it now. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, there's always that big party... In, on, in Times Square, New Year's Eve. In the Marvel Universe, it's no exception. Fucking tourists. Yep, just drinking and partying. We uh, So we get a nice splash at the top half of the page. When we go down, we see that one of the rev- revelers, you were, we're seeing him through a scope. There's a woman on the roof with a sniper rifle, and we learn that she's shooting people every two minutes. She has shot five people already with the six on the way. And then we see... The same view where she's got the reveler in a in a scope uh, that's being sighted. We see that she's also being looked at through a scope. So the police have snipers on her, but they won't take the shot because we learn that she sent a tape to the police explaining that she's planted explosives in the subway and they'll de- detonate if the police interfere with her. And she's going to continue to shoot people every two minutes until the Punisher shows up. Right, and that seems to be a pretty tall demand for getting your own ass handed to you, if that that's what you want. When you dissect the story after you've read it, it this wasn't, I mean, it got what she wanted, it got the Punisher out in the open, but, again, I it, like you said, it was a pretty intricate plan that didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think it was very well thought through. No. No, so, uh, yeah, you go page 12, yeah, you flash over to, uh, it looks like, I believe that's Frank kind of cleaning up a little bit in his uh, his place. Yep, it's like he's a he has a, a safe house. You see him; he's putting down a couple grenades. He's yeah, he's he's coming back from the 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 hit that he just did on Uncle Dominic. Right, and it flashes back and forth between what Frank's doing and what's going on in Times Square. So it flashes back to Times Square. Uh, the sniper took a shot, took out one of the revelers, and then we flash back to Frank, who's a uh, Stitching himself up as all badass, freaking normal, super. I, mean, I guess he's not a superhero; he's just a normal human. But as yeah, they are, wa- human? as they are wont to do, you know, they stitch themselves up because you know they're badass. Yeah, it looks like he's got like a a wound <clears throat> on his upper left shoulder, and yeah, he's stitching it up. That will come into play later. Right. So yeah, they're doing some damage control. You know, the police are trying to do some crowd control because. You know, this is a situation that's a ticking time bomb. You know, you've got the bombs that are supposedly laid underneath the street, and you have civilians at a celebration that's, I mean, if you've ever seen a Times Square broadcast, you've seen how packed that area can get. 
and uh, someone's picking you off one at a time. I mean, at this point, if I were the New York City PD, I'd be worried about a fucking stampede of humans. So they're trying to keep the crowd unaware that somebody is sniping members of the crowd off one at a time. This kind of fell apart a little bit for me here because we see like there's a television crew covering it. And it's we see that they're they're also covering the fact that there is a sniper. It sounds like they know about it. And so it seems weird that you have all these people who are still like in this like this kill zone when it seems to be like public knowledge that, hey, you're getting sniped. I don't think I don't think it was public knowledge at that point, you know, because you look at that panel. It looks like um, I, I guess you'd probably be the director or the producer of that mobile unit is flagging over the newscaster, basically saying, hey, you know, we've got something going on here. Yeah. And uh, I, w- I was a little quick to point a finger there. Yeah, I, I think Which, they hit it unawares because as, yeah. as soon as they start reporting on it. It's sometimes when I read these things, I don't have a criticism until like we're doing it in the podcast. And then sometimes I think like, well, that's why I didn't have the criticism. So, yeah, I withdraw my criticism that I just leveled. You're right that it's not they're not reporting on that. Oh, there's this threat and the sniper. It definitely sounds like these developments are coming as they're loading the person into the ambulance. I uh, I can see the point. Right. Yeah. So there's enough time that that, cha- that passed in this whole news story segment that. 911 was called, and yeah, there's usually ambulances somewhere in the vicinity during any of these big celebrations in New York. It, enough time passed, though, that someone called the ambulance. The ambulance showed up. They loaded him into the ambulance. So I'd say enough time's gone by to credibly say that maybe someone back in their home office was digging for for any information about what the fuck's going on in Times Square. And then, well, I bet the police had, like you said, there's going to be some ambulances there, but they probably had a lot of paramedics on standby because of the situation here and with the subway. Right, and, and as that time passes, you know, even if it's five or ten minutes, that's enough time to call your home office and say, hey, what the fuck's going on at Times Square? And for them to yeah. eventually start parsing out information in regards to what's happening. So we're still on page 13 here. Punisher, he stitched himself up. He's now turned on the news, and exactly like you said, the ambulance showed up. He's the Punisher gets the story. They're also talking about like they they learn the authorities have identified the shooter as Sperria, and that this is some all the reporter knows is that this is somehow linked to the Punisher. Punisher doesn't like that, so he gears up. We're on page fourteen. Oh whoa whoa whoa! You skipped over a really vital part of the story here. Well, okay, not a vital part, but an amusing part. You know, as as you're going back and forth for the Punisher, cleaning up his stuff and, and kind of doing his post operation, you know, checklist, uh, the newscaster gets his head freaking shot while he's describing everything that's going on with the news. So he basically gets offed on air. Yes, yeah, on page fourteen. Yes, the well, <laughs> well, the uh, newscaster is covering this. Yep, he uh, he takes a, a round to the head. We see Suspiria take the shot. We see him go down <laughs> while this is going on. I just jumped we ahead, see... didn't I? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Oh, well, good. Duh. While this is going on, we see the Punisher uh, gear up. This is kind of cool here. If you look at him closely, he's got the white gloves and the white boots. So this is like his classic late 80s, 90s attire. Yeah. Later on in the issue, we see his 
boots will turn black. They start they color them differently. But I was super excited by that panel. It's like '90s Punisher out for revenge. And we see he grabs a, a box from under his table. He goes up on his roof and he uh, pulls out his own sniper rifle. He's going to go hunting. Yep, and that looks like a freaking heavy duty sniper rifle. Yeah, he's not he's not fucking around. This is a yeah, like you said, a, a heavy duty professional sniper rifle. Moving on to page fifteen. He sees the shooter, yeah, and you get the inner monologue where he's realizing she's wide open. She's out in the open, and he's wondering why New York's finest haven't taken the shot, and he's basically saying, well, it's not my fucking problem. Yep. He uh, he takes the shot with a mighty kerwam! Nice onomatopoeia. Yay! Do you, do you see the size of that brass? Yeah, well, I mean, okay, so looking at that freaking rifle... Uh, it reminds me of like the, the Barrett 50 caliber sniper rifle, which is more of a freaking like uh, uh, material. Dis- what do they call it? Material destruction or something along the lines where it can basically take out an armored personnel carrier. Yeah, and uh, that's that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah, and I believe that's what that. And for anybody who doesn't know, brass. If you're discharging a say a, a anything that shoots a bullet. It's the brass is what's discharged. That's what like that was the casing around the the bullet. So the bullet is discharged out the the barrel, and you'll see the brass come out the side. Right. Yeah. Basically, that's what held all the gunpowder that that propels the bullet out of the barrel. Exactly. It it doesn't necessarily look like a fifty cal round, like a, the brass from it that shoots out. But I think that's what that was supposed to be. So I think you're absolutely right. He just shot her with a a 50 cal round yeah and, and yeah exactly because the scale is a little off because i know that barrett freaking 50 caliber sniper rifle that thing's like fucking six feet long doesn't look like it, it here you sometimes see that with weapons in comic books you'll see sometimes people who they do a lot of referencing sometimes it's like oh i pulled up a quick shot i'm taking some license with it or i'm not very familiar with weaponry right yeah but again that's not a ding on the creative or on the the team it's definitely we get what they're 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 they mean to convey and just for anybody who's never seen a 50 cal round the bullet itself if you look at like an adult index finger it's it's a little thicker around than say an uh an adult's index finger or middle finger so if you can imagine the entrance and then exit wound that is going to make in a soft target it's going to be devastating oh yeah it's gonna wreck some shit yeah so yeah he uh he shot leads lands home takes out the sniper but uh she she has quite the dramatic bloody fall from the rooftop oh yeah definitely and as you advance through the panels you see that uh someone is watching what's going on and uh traces where frank's shot came off from and seems to be saying uh, got a heat signature sniper rifle and then you find it's uh fuck it i'm gonna call her shakira and and she says i've got you and it kind of gives you a little panel of her in some sort of a skin tight super kinky looking freaking outfit it reminded me a little bit of melina or katana from mortal Kombat, but with a cape i could see that yeah yep so yeah you're right she's like you said she you see somebody she's got this it's like a thermal viewer she uses it to to track frank's shot so the person the sniper that frank shot it was really susperia's assistant wearing a wig and she just used her as a decoy which I'm wondering how the hell she talked her into that plan. 
trust me, I won't let him shoot you. Before he gets any sort of eyes on you, I'm going to take him out. Okay, Sugar Pony? You've got this. I'm wondering if she's wearing body armor that she's like, don't worry, you're going to keep your just keep your head down. He'll have to take a body shot. You're wearing body armor. And she wasn't anticipating or just didn't care that the Punisher would use something heavier because there's no way like 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 Cruz had said, a 50 cal round. You can use this to take out lightly armored vehicles. It's going to penetrate. It's not something that you can just put some Kevlar on and, and it's going to protect. It's going to go through Kevlar like it was like wet. Uh, toilet paper. Yeah, definitely for sure. So, yeah, I guess that's one way she could have duped her into it. And as you look down at her freaking crumpled body on the pavement, you see like the wig fell off, so it definitely gives away that it was the assistant. It was all just a plan to get the Punisher out in the open in his location. So, that part of it was I mean, a good plan, but her plan now for dealing with the Punisher I think leaves a little bit to be desired. Yeah, it definitely wasn't well thought out. So, basically, she, uh, Raids his apartment. That's pretty much it. Yep, she's got an M16 with a 203 grenade launcher underneath. So she's, and then you see she's got like a couple pistols. She's coming in. She's got decent weapons. And I just want to just follow up on her costume. She's wearing black, and it looks like it is body armor. But she's wearing like thigh high boots. She's wearing almost like a swimsuit that has that goes all the way up to like the top of her neck. She has gloves that go up to her upper arms and then she's wearing it looks like shoulder pads as well for protection and it's cool as a cool contrast to the punisher if you look at the middle of her chest it kind of the raised outlines of her armor it almost forms a skull shape on her like a black skull so it's the opposite of the the punisher exactly it's a it looks like a skull that's uh in front of a cross and given the cut of the outfit, it almost looks like a shield. Yeah, I, I actually I missed that. I didn't see the the cross outlined behind it. Yeah, I totally, totally missed that. My eye didn't pick it up. Yeah, that's one reason why I definitely said she kind of reminds me of the Huntress, because the Huntress was definitely steeped in Catholicism. Yes. Well, I mean, if you're if, if affiliated with the Italian mob, that runs pretty deep with the, the, the Catholic faith. That it does. So yeah, she she finds the Punisher's safe house. So she uses her M16. She blows the lock off, and when she she comes in the door in a Italian or Sicilian, uh, she says, "Come play with me." And Frank is ready for her. Right, and I, I mean, you could take the "come play with you" how you want it. It definitely gets identified as how she she meant it later. I mean, her whole plan was to get the Punisher out in the open, and she just really wanted to have this this confrontation with him. That was her plan. So the Punisher, he's no slouch at this. As soon as she opens the door, he throws a knife at her face, and she puts she has to throw down her rifle, and she catches it. She, like, claps it in between her two hands. It is, like, it is less than an inch from her nose. However... She had to put her guard down to do that, and the Punisher tackles her just just savagely. Like, he's tackling her with one arm, has his fist up like he's going to punch her, and he knocks her headfirst into the fucking refrigerator. Yeah, but she's no slouch either, and uh, she immediately retorts with a knife to the right shoulder. Yeah, she do- it doesn't even phase her or slow her down, and with the knife he threw at her, puts it in his right shoulder. Yeah, just, and then kicks him and knocks him into a window, breaking it. We get a nice crash. Yeah, 
She's definitely a tough broad. So, uh, yeah, page 17. You start off in uh, Shakira. <laughs> Is a, definitely a, well trained in fighting and uh, definitely some uh, gymnastic ability. Does a couple of freaking front flips. Comes yes. at Frank with this flying freaking leap. Which, like Mortal Kombat. Exactly yes. like Mortal Kombat. And he does this amazing like backhanded punch deal and freaking just stops her cold and knocks her on the uh, her ass. It actually reminds me a little bit of that last issue of Kill Raven, because where he connects, you get a little explosion <laughs> in midair, just like when uh, Kill Raven was fighting the rat. So this was actually a cool callback. Right. So, yeah. So And when he knocks her out of the air and you see her, she's going to land like a head first. Right. But she's apparently a, a cat or at least part cat. And within two panels, she's on her feet with her gun drawn and they're engaging in a bit of a standoff. He tells her, you've got my attention, what do you want? And again, in the Sicilian, isn't it obvious? And then they, like like Neo fighting Agent Smith from the Matrix, That's exactly they just run at each I other. Because, yeah. I mean, this came out in 2004, so the whole Matrix, I mean, Revolutions, I think, just came out like the within a year of this. So I think the Matrix was definitely still having that big pop culture influence. But yeah, I mean, they're just... He's just running at her, and they're just they're just shooting at each other. It just so much reminded me of that subway scene from the first Matrix movie. Exactly. We're on page 18, and if you look, the Punisher's boots are now black. It's actually kind of a weird look. He's got his, like, 90s costume from the waist up, and from the waist down, he's wearing, like, the military boots and, like, black BDU pants that he would wear in the uh, 2000s. But anyway, I'm derailing the improbable but super cool action. So top of page 13, when either they hit each other and it just hit their body armor or they missed, but the Punisher gets close to her, punches her through a door, and then she falls backward and hits her head on a toilet. She lands in the bathroom. <laughs> she At this point, I had to laugh, and I wrote my notes. She's already, uh, in this fight, she's gotten as many head injuries as uh, Kill Raven does in an issue of um, <laughs> Awesome. So the Punisher doesn't let up. After he punches her into the toilet, he backhands her again, and she falls into the bathtub. At this point, he's just, he's had enough of this, which he says, enough of this. And so he pushes her, again, just into the bathtub, and he throws a grenade in there with her, and then he runs out of the bathroom and barricades it closed with a door, or uh, like he barricades the door closed with a chair. And I love that you can see just all the bullet holes from their firefight in that wall. Yeah, that's totally awesome. I I got a good kick out of that that part of the fight. Yeah, I I love this fight scene. There's so few words for like half of this issue because it's just a great fight scene. Yeah. So on uh, page nineteen. Uh, as he's standing by that barricaded door, what what exactly is going on here? I mean, did she shoot it out, or did she kick it out, or punch it out, or what? I believe that she she shoots a, a hole through the door, and then she throws the grenade through. Right, <laughs> and the look on Frank's face is fucking hilarious for me. Yes. He he just kind of has this absolutely dumbfounded look, like what the fuck. Because you could tell he thought this was quite the checkmate when he <laughs> barricaded her in a bathroom with a grenade. But yeah, the grenade goes off, and you see him up in the air. I'm assuming he threw himself away from the grenade, and that's why he's in the air. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
So apparently Frank Castle is the worst neighbor ever because you just see this giant hole on his floor and you see below him is this old lady and you see she has a little birdcage next to her. So Suspiria, she she thinks that Punisher is through the hole. So while she's looking into the hole, the Punisher tackles her from behind and knocks her into the hole. The old woman is clutching her bird trying to protect it. Yeah, and uh, it looks like uh, Frank grabs a Suspira by the freaking throat and attempts to knock a wall out with her head. Yes, just again, just bear, just put head first, just throws her against the wall as hard as he can. Yeah, I mean, she is like Kill Raven. Right, but yeah, I guess she she kind of parries that maneuver, brings Frank in tight, gives him a a, a nice full on freaking tongue-in-cheek kiss, and uh, then moves on to bite his collarbone. She bites him, and it was my second time through. I think that's supposed to be that same spot that he was sewing up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. How the hell did she know about it? I think she got lucky, or maybe she noticed some blood coming through his costume. Fair enough. She takes us to page 20. Page 20. Yeah, she, uh, she's back on the offensive. She bit his shoulder where he was injured. And we get a nice, it look, almost looks like a sidekick. And it kicks Frank into the old woman's bedroom, which is creepy enough. <laughs> we see that he lands on her bed. Sisperia pulls out a pistol, and she starts shooting at him. So the Punisher slams the door uh, in her face. She seems very irritated by that. Calls him a bastardo. I wish I knew Italian. I don't know what she said. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> she shoot, She lands on her back and she starts shooting through the door. But we see the Punisher use that, that time to escape onto the fire escape. Right. So uh, page 21 now. 21. 21. Suspira goes in pursuit of the fire escape. And uh, she sees there's a window that's cracked open as she's lowering herself. He's sticking a leg into that window. Lo and behold, Frank was waiting for her, and he pins her leg with the said window as he closes it on her. Yeah, I have to say, I, I kind of had a problem with this. Because she seems to be a very professional. She's an experienced hit uh, hitman or hit person. She seems very well educated in, in combat. And it's just... You never, I can't imagine any time that you would go feet first into a room that you hadn't cleared. And she, because the window's open, so she thinks the Punisher went in, because this is the window back into his apartment. Right. And she's absolutely right, so she's going into a, a situation where now he's had a few seconds to get himself situated. Why you wouldn't go in, like, with your weapon drawn, like, head and arms first, I have no idea. So I guess she got maybe just rattled or just the adrenaline was going and she wasn't thinking but it cost her because yeah just like you said she's he now pinned her her leg as soon as it got through or as soon as she put it through awesome sauce so moving on from there you know that look on her face it almost looked like she enjoyed it once he gets her pinned he shoots her in the leg like point blank right in the leg and it, it looks like it's like in an exquisite amount of pain oh yeah suspira here and uh, I guess she blacks out. Yes. So moving on to page 22. Uh, Suspira's coming to. 
And uh, Frank is standing over her with a rather wicked-looking knife. Yes, that looks super cool. Because usually you see him use uh, a K-bar, and in this issue he's had some pretty cool-looking knives. Not the the standard marine K-bar. Yeah, this looks like something Polynesian, something something very, very freaking... You know what? It's curved. Yeah, go ahead. It's curved. It looks like an exaggerated version of, like, the Rambo first blood knife. Yeah, it's, it almost looks like you took, like, a K-bar and a scimitar, and you combined them. It's a K-bar-imitar? <laughs> Whatever it is, it's cool. And, yeah, he, he... I like the effect, too, when they you see her first waking up. He looks very hazy, and then over three panels comes into focus. Right, yeah. Definitely conveys that she's waking up very efficiently. Yes. He wants to know who hired her. She calls him a bastardo again. I can only assume that means no thank you. Yeah, exactly. It means no thank you, and it's accusing him of being a, a bad... Um, Tardo. <laughs> a, a, a bad, uh, I guess you say, service provider, because what service provider would uh, give away their clientele at the drop of a hat when someone asks? Well, could, yep. And I, I love that panel here where he's he's interrogating her because she's tied to a chair. You see him standing in front of her, and they're standing in the middle of a skull. And so I, what I want to believe is that wasn't just an artful choice. I want to believe that the Punisher has an interrogation room that is lit by a light that, kind of like the bat signal, puts out a projection of a skull onto the floor. I, I think that is a rather large amount of wishful thinking. I think he's just... <laughs> I agree with you, but how awesome would that be? That'd be pretty damn awesome. I think Frank just goes with whatever is the most utilitarian thing that gets the job done, and uh, and then puts a little bling on it. I I agree. We always see them do the artful skull in the background, but I I so want to believe that this is like the the Punisher interrogation room under the Punisher light. Yeah, um, I wish. But I'm 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 derailing us again. She calls him a bastardo. He demands she speak English. She wants to know why she's still alive. And again, it's because he wants to know who hired her. I did. (laughs) Moving on, yeah. Like any good mercenary, that's not what they do. No, it's against the code. Right, and she flat out says, hey, that's not going to happen. And they go back and forth. She uh, spits in Frank's face. Yep, right, right on the bridge of his nose. That was well placed. You know, if 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 he had a freaking flesh wound there, that could get infected or worse. Maybe <laughs> transmit some sort of freaking STD. I mean, we need to have like a freaking face condom if we're doing this stuff, okay, guys? Well, it was his fault. I mean, he stuck his face like two inches from her. She's bound <clears throat> up. If I worked in a, a residential hospital before, and anybody knows that when you get somebody in a say two man hold. When they realize they can't fight you, they're going to spit or pee or try to poop on you. That's just that's those are your weapons now that your hands and feet aren't aren't usable. Right, but you know those are no longer allowed. I mean, just as fighting and, and trying to attack someone physically like that is not allowed. Uh, at least in the prison system, which I'm <clears throat> I've worked for and worked with, um, anything that involves the exchange of bodily fluids that is unwanted is considered an assault. They can't do the. Did you say they can't do the two man control in the uh, prison system? What is the two man control? Oh, you see, in say mental hospitals or when you're working with say developmentally disabled consumers or mentally ill say clients, 
Um, <laughs> there's nonviolent interventions that are used where, say, you can block blows or if they're trying to bite you or pull your hair to stabilize it or escape without hurting the person. And when anything like that, say, breaks down or a person's going to hurt themselves or somebody else, you do this thing with like two with two people where you get them off their center of gravity and it's like you put one leg, like each person has them like blocked between their hips. And it's like you're suspending them while like keeping their legs back with one of your leg. And then you have one arm on their shoulder and then their one arm, like arm on their wrist holding them out. So they can't, they're, they're, they're kind of touching the floor, but not enough to be able to push themselves up. And they don't have enough leverage, no matter how strong they are, to get their arms free. The only thing you have to be careful of is sometimes if you're too close, if you're not on the edge of their shoulder, they can try to bite your hands. But then at that point, they can still spit on your hands. And if you're trying to carry them, they'll try to spit or they'll pee on themselves or... Anyway, <laughs> that's but that it's a safe. It's a way to keep you and other people safe while you have them in a controlled place where they can't hurt themselves or others. Okay, well, that's, and you do that until they calm down. That was rather in depth, <laughs> but it's it's good. Yeah. so many people get injured in in situations like that who don't need to be like the the, the like the say the patient can injure themselves or injure somebody else. So it's just a nice way to to get them safe and calm them or to until they can calm down right but i don't think frank cares about that i think frank wants some answers out of suspira here yes we we actually this is a variation of what he did in the 2005 issue she explains that she's not paid to to talk and he, he says that hey if you tell me i'll take you to a hospital so kind of like what he did with that uh the guy he stuck a knife into in the beginning of the last issue the you tell me and you can I'll get you to a hospital. Yeah. <laughs> so she says, or maybe I'll just sit here and bleed to death trying to call his bluff. Yeah, she's definitely very uh, confrontational. So she continues monologuing here. Uh, yes. She she basically goes into you know Frank's bas- ba- background with uh, the loss of his family or the brutal murder of his family. You say it which yeah. way works equivalently well. She uh, insinuates that she's experienced something similar. Yeah, she she hints at that, or she reveals that she too has lost her family, and this is driving her to, in her words, right wrongs. Right, right, right wrongs for a price apparently. Yeah, she she says that they're similar and that they're both killers, but yet, like you said, Frank disagrees and says that she only kills for money. Yeah, and uh, her response is that uh, you know, hey, it's a necessary evil. You know, she doesn't really care about where the money comes from. She just needs it so she can continue living in it the way she lives. Apparently, and let's be honest, Frank does. Frank takes money. <clears throat> he. It, I think it's definitely, it's not like he takes contracts, but yeah, when he, say, will take out a, a drug dealer, he'll take his, say, equipment and his money. That's how, you see that a lot in the early, like the 80s issues, where he's constantly financing his operation through money taken from the mob or from drug dealers. Right. But again, she purposely, she'll take contracts, she'll kill innocents or whatever to fund her, her revenge. So he, he takes exception to the comparison. Yeah, he does. He he definitely seems to object to it. Uh, they both have a, a philosophy that involves that some people just deserve to die. And yeah. she seems to be a little more gratuitous in her enjoyment of it. 
Yeah, and we talked about this last issue. Frank doesn't take enjoyment out of it. Frank is like a shark. He's cold. He's emotionless. He goes from one target to the next. She actually seems to revel in the violence of it. She, it, she seems to feed off of it. Yeah, it seems to get her off. So, yeah, we get a we get a nice pay, uh, panel of her uh, not looking absolutely freaking crazy, but looking crazy enough to freaking scare me. Yeah, you can definitely see she's got some crazy eyes going. Yeah, she's definitely got some crazy eyes. And uh, basically, she's, she, she's bargaining with Frank. She says she'll give up her client in exchange for one kiss. Yes. Didn't see that coming. No, did not see that coming. And, uh, you know, Frank obliges her. He, he doesn't give a shit. What's a kiss? No. And, yeah, he he does. And that uh, that's the end of that, uh, that page. And that takes us to 24. Which this, this the whole the whole next sequence is just wonderful, just great. Yeah, so twenty four. You start with a small panel where uh, a woman is uh, walking out of what looks like a building lobby uh, into the street, and as she's approaching her limo, uh, you see Suspira's body come freaking falling on top of the limo with a huge scratch. Yeah, it's a nice. I mean, she just ragdolls into the top of that limo, and uh, we see that this woman is Regina, the main mafia widow who hired Sisberia to take out the Punisher. So she pulls out her cell phone and she calls one of the other widows, and she wants the the rest of them to get together at the Hyatt yeah. to talk uh, to talk strategy. Yeah, yeah, they meet up at the Hyatt. Everyone seems to be. Uh... A little perturbed that the uh, Frank is still out there, and he is now on the hunt for them. I actually thought this was some neat symmetry, because it reminds me this uh, where she calls them, we need to meet right now. It's very much reminiscent of a scene at the funeral. She's like, girls, downstairs, 10 minutes. Right. So we open with it. We, there's an opening with it, and it's closing with it. So I thought that was nice. Right, so yeah, they're all holed up in the hotel room trying to figure out what's going on. The uh, hotel room door freaking just blows in in a huge explosion, which frames the the gals very nicely. And in comes Frank in all his glorious and violent beauty with two M203 over under freaking assault rifles and a shit ton of grenades in a really pissed off expression. Yeah. Yeah, he he's he's done with this. So, I love the all the women but Regina run. Where do they think they're going to go in this hotel room? But hey, they're making a they're 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 just trying to get out of the immediate area. That that picture of Regina where she's standing her ground. What is keeping her boobs in that in her shirt? You really want to know? I mean, it's just it's it's almost like she's wearing like this jogging jacket. Like it's like a, it, but it's it's only zipped like the first inch of it, and it's like she's wearing nothing, not even a bra underneath. It's really weird looking. It's not, I don't. It's, it's very strange. It's it's generally double sided sticky tape. Yeah, that, I mean that's what it looks like. That's that's. I mean, I'm 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 not shitting you. That's generally what they use when when they ever wear, have anything with like a plunging neckline like that, and they want to ensure that their chesticles don't go flying about to and fro. Uh, they uh, they double sided sticky tape the uh, article of clothing to where they want it. No, I mean I I know like in movies with impractical wardrobes they'll do that, but people do that in real life. 
like like every day sort of not every day i mean you've got to be wearing something that's got a freaking neckline it's pretty much almost a crotch line yeah that's that just seems very impractical well yeah but it looks damn good (laughs) yeah she uh is not afraid of the punisher she doesn't run and in fact she spits in his face and uh tells him that he ruined her life man frank's just been having a really kinky day yeah it's a lot of saliva swapping yeah exactly and uh, Frank's response is to, at point blank, freaking lift up one of those. I'm sorry, we went to page uh, 25. And Frank's response is to, at point blank, lift up one of those freaking M16 assault rifles and open fire into her stomach. Yeah, she had a pistol. She was we. It's it's hard in that last scene where she spits on the Punisher. She's pulling a a pistol out of the the jacket that's not closed at all. Apparently, she was hiding a pistol in there. Oh, wow. How is she hiding a pistol in there? Frank, like you said, he unloads into her chest. We get, uh, I actually had to do some research here, because while he's shooting her multiple times, he says, neither marriage nor war will go away once begun. And even though he's unloaded into her chest, she's still standing, and she replies with, better one day is a lion than a hundred is a sheep. And so I had to research what, because I thought that they were quoting one continuous line or, say, a dialogue from a play. And Google had originally steered me towards some Bible verses, but they're actually Italian proverbs. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, because I I was just, I had no idea where that had come from. I'm still trying to figure out the physics of how she had a freaking gun in her shirt. Yeah, they play a little bit fast and loose here at the end. Right, so, but, yeah. And Punisher, he's just kind of done. He's not going to trade any more uh, uh, proverbs with her. So in response, he just kicks her in the face and says whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, moving on to page 26, that kick in the face uh, resulted in uh, her pretty much flying out of the window and plummeting what looks like several tens of stories to the ground. Yeah, I like that you had to turn the page to see what happened. That was very rewarding. It was. It was definitely so rewarding just to see her freaking flying to her death. Yes. Where? So the Punisher turns around and he asks the uh, the, West, the rest of the widows who's next, and they just cave. They say it was all her idea. So the Punisher, he's he's had enough of this. He lets them know just because they married some mobsters, that doesn't make them. You know, they marry gangsters. That doesn't make them gangsters. So he's going to let them go. But they basically they have 24 hours to leave the country. And if they're still here, it's open season. Uh, yeah. Uh, but he does have a little uh, a little caveat that he throws in there as well. Yes. So uh, moving on to the next page, page 27, final page. He explains his extra little request before they leave the country. Basically, he says that they're uh, they're gonna make a New Year's resolution, and that there's a Santa outside the Tiffany's on Fifth Avenue. He's uh, a friend of his, collecting for uh, the families of the people that died in Times Square. He wants to see some really expansive Christmas cheer before they depart New York City. Yes, and so you see the widows; they drop off jewelry and just a ton of money. To this Santa, right, and uh, apparently uh, one of them kind of gets a, a closer look at his face, and I think she realizes who is exactly in that Santa suit. 
Okay, because it's there's this response or this scene at the end where he's kind of she's kind of looking at him and he says, "What are you looking at?" She's afraid. Done no, no, nothing, and he says, "Happy New Year," which that would put that in some per- good. That would that would make some sense. It's not. I don't think they did a good job kind of spelling that out. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the context I get out of it at least. You know, I could see how it, it could seem a little. Uh, not played out well enough to make that context clear. I mean, I just assumed that she looked, realized, oh shit, that's the Punisher underneath there, and that got her anxious and stammering and staring, and that's why he said, "What are you looking at?" I because the way I took it was that this wasn't the Punisher this time; that this was another Santa, and he doesn't exactly know why they're dropping off this load of money, and she's kind of in his space looking in his face and that's why he he calls her a witch i don't know i just i don't see the punisher calling her a witch i think he would be i don't know there's really no interaction there that would cause i don't know one for the the punisher or not the punisher i think to call her a witch it's kind of weird yeah yeah true but i mean why would any uh, random santa friend of tiffany's feel he need to call someone that just dropped fucking thousands upon thousands of dollars in their donation bucket, a witch. Because maybe the Punisher, maybe the Punisher told him, hey, these these are some bad people, they're making amends by dropping off the, uh, this, this money, so he knows that they're responsible, say, for what had happened. So he knows that they're they're guilty, so that's why he, he has that animosity towards them. Because maybe that's how the Punisher, because he said, I'll know if you don't do it, that maybe this guy is going to call the Punisher. Like, yep, within the last 24 hours, four women dropped off, each, like, say, $10,000. Yeah, okay, that, that that could make sense, too. And that uh, concludes the 2005 Punisher Christmas special. Or, I'm sorry, not 2004, my bad. 2004 Christmas special? What did you think? It, it had some really good one-liners. It had the the real Housewives of the Mob kind of freaking, you know, reality show going on in the background. It had some great fights. The fight between uh, Punisher and Sisera or Shakira or whatever the hell her freaking name is. Uh, it was an uh, awesome freaking fight. It kind of reminded me of the, uh, like, one of the initial fight scenes for Mr. and Smith, Mrs. Smith. Okay, I could see that. You know, it had a male-female fight scene that just was knocked down, drag out all throughout the house or apartment. And that was really fun. Uh, the gunplay was fun. The strip club was fun. Everything, everything, basically it was a really fun episode. You know, the freaking traumatizing children and costing them thousands of dollars in therapy bills at the very beginning was awesome. I would say my one complaint with this issue was the way they set it up, and how important the character was going to be, Suspiria, and the whole plot with the Widows. It felt like it, it should have been maybe a two or three issue series. Because it just, it felt like the, they wrapped it up very quickly. Yeah. It, it they could have, told a great story, and they had to wrap it up in just a few pages. Yeah, it, it could have definitely been fleshed out a little bit more. But uh, yeah, I think all in all, even with the brevity, I thought it was fun. Yeah, I thought it was good. I just thought it, it could have been great if we just had maybe even just another issue to get that good action and then have a satisfying resolution. Fair enough. I'll take it. Okay, we're moving on to the Punisher Christmas special from 2006. 
Oh boy. This is the last of the 2000s Punisher Christmas specials, I believe. There's three more that we did not cover from the 90s, because theoretically, we might be doing this next year. So, there you go. Yeah, at least room for something else to do next year, for Punish Sember. <laughs> exactly. So, a Punisher Christmas special from 2006 was published uh, earlier than the previous ones that we covered. It was published on 11-29-2006, so they definitely wanted that on the shelves for all of Punish Sember. This issue was written by Stuart Moore, artist is C.P. Lewis, color by Dean White, letterers V.C.'s Joe Caramanga. Apparently my wife doesn't understand how microphones work. <laughs> There's just a little bit of Punish Summer going on <laughs> in the background. Yeah. Oh, jeez. I have to say, I really liked this cover. It's it's definitely more minimal than the the previous covers that we, we, we've seen in the Punisher Christmas specials, but I think that's what I liked about it. Hmm. I have the yeah. feeling you disagree, which is okay. It, it, it is more minimal. It, it's definitely a different art style. I, you know, I, I really don't care for it that much. It, it, it's... Ah... Yeah, I don't really care for the cover that much. It, it's the shading doesn't. Free, you know, the, yeah, it's a Christmas special. It's all red and green. Uh, it's it's got Frank freaking you know, kind of. I don't know, looking thoughtful in his Santa hat while holding a gun that's smoking. Yeah, it looks like he's clearing out the the brass out of a revolver, and the only I, Santa accoutrement he has on is a Santa hat. So it's definitely down the the Christmas theme is definitely downplayed compared to the other two issues. Oh yeah, way well okay on the cover at least it's way downplayed. Yeah, on the cover. Yeah, I just I honestly I just don't, I don't I don't dig the cover at all. The the background looks like it's an abstract planting that fucking dog. <laughs> I, the one thing I don't get about the background was it's clearly a skull and we have the two eye holes, but then the, the third like, one. Yeah, and so I don't know why you would have a full skull, and then the right third would be half of another skull. So it's like it's off-center. Either right, which... two skulls or just one skull. So I agree with you, that's kind of a weird yeah, choice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. that's what I thought at first. I thought it was the skull, and I'm looking at the other thing, and I'm like saying, well, maybe there's some sort of weird like pattern going on here I'm not seeing, or what the hell is it, or is it a face? I don't know. It looks like freaking... Some abstract painting where some freaking artists vomited up freaking acrylics all over a shitty canvas, and I don't really care for how it looks. I, I think what really sells the cover for me was that it doesn't have a busy background, and the detail on Frank, like the the way his face is drawn, there's a lot of clean lines. He, it's very, it's very gritty. It's very noir, and I'm I will always be attracted to that. I thought the snowflakes were a little unnecessary in the mm-hmm. foreground, but just it's. I guess I like Frank. I like the minimal Santa uh, accessories. I like how his expression. Take everything off the cover, but Frank. I, I guess I really like Frank. That was what I I enjoyed. Yeah, the way they drew Frank is nice, and, and the 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 lighting on it looks really clean. Yeah, it does look very very clean, like you said, and. Just that's about the only good thing. 
the texture on his, te his trench coat. I mean, just that fine attention to detail. So if they would have right. stuck another background on there, I think we'd be both in agreement on this cover. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can I can agree that we uh, disagree and would have agreed if the background was probably different. <laughs> I so, don't agree to that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely do. vacillating back and forth. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. Frank is good, everything else is not. There you go. All right, cool. And I think so. that's going to be a good uh, – that's the, the whole issue, I think, is just going to go that way. So Jeez. I guess the cover fits. Yep. So, yeah, moving on to page two. We, we, we get a title on this. This is a, called The Punisher of the List. And you'll see that is basically the whole theme of this issue is that you the Frank is like the is like Santa Claus. He has a naughty list, a nice list. So when I saw that, I was very much on board. I thought that was a cool theme, but it uh, they just hit you over the head with that over and over again. Exactly. That's exactly how I felt, too. When I first saw it, I was like, okay, cool. You know, Christmas episode, they're doing a little little, little Santa Claus theme with Naughty and Nice. But, God, they bludgeon you with it over the head. Over, I mean, they treat you like Kill Raven. They just bash you over the head mercilessly with this freaking list. It's a good comparison. It, it felt a lot of, like, the themes that they hit you over the head with in Kill Raven. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd also say where I thought the last book, even though I had some small nitpicking criticisms, I felt the the writers had a very good handle on the Punisher. I thought this guy slightly less so. Yes, I I will concur with you there as well. To get you guys, the audience, in on what we're talking about, we open up here on page two, and again, you guys should be on Marvel Unlimited, or you probably you could have bought this for two dollars on Comicsology, so you could be enjoying this or not enjoying this as much as we are. We open up page two here. We see that Frank he's writing out his naughty list. He's got a list of several names. Uh, I'm willing to bet these are all mobsters, and. Uh, we learn that he just he uh, from the cat or from the 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 caption boxes that he just can't get into Christmas this year. Yeah, he just doesn't have that that, that Christmas spirit this year. Which I, I I I don't think I've ever seen the Punisher with the Christmas spirit. So again, this is where it's the characterization, not just based off of that, but when you see it as a whole, it's just his obsession with Christmas in this issue. It just it felt a little weird to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think that that fixation and so some of the stuff that occurs later is definitely not in keeping with what I've seen of the Punisher these last couple of issues that we've gone through, which you know you say are written by people that seem to understand the character really well, and it from the perspective of what I remember understood what the Punisher was about. There definitely seems to be more emotion behind the Punisher this issue than I like to see with how the Punisher's handled. I, I I know I've said this multiple times, but Frank should be like a shark. Mm -hmm. Nothing phases him, nothing affects him, and that's not him, this issue. This next page, page three, I gotta say I really enjoyed this page. We, we see again his naughty list, he holds up a photo, and we learn that he was going to take out a mobster called Mouse Mascani. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm going to go with for the pronunciation. Yeah, and I think you nailed it. Frank had a great plan here. That the guy has a was it a townhouse and Frank was just gonna block up his chimney when he had the fireplace going so to smoke uh, to smoke him out of his house and then just shoot him when he came out 
but because it's the holidays, he has 16 relatives from the old country and out of town in South Dakota over. So I don't know. I don't like that Frank kind of gives up that easy, but he's like, hey, this might not be the best time for a hit. And all the other ma- major mobsters that he's uh, gunning for, it's the same thing. They have a lot of family members over, a lot of children, a lot of collateral damage. So Frank's moving on to some of the smaller fish that sometimes he doesn't necessarily get to focus on. And we learn on. Uh, do you have anything else on this page? Uh, I'm just I'm just thinking back to the 2004 where he had no problem with freaking uh, uh, dumping a freaking carcass out of a window in front of a hotel. Or he and, went into a strip club, which I'm sure none of those people were like uh, like volunteers at a you know at a, an adoption agency or uh, the Humane Society or something. But yeah, he, so they got to get their college tuition somehow. Okay, he had no problem risking a little bit of collateral damage there which usually he's pretty good about minimizing but yeah him kind of giving up easy it was too much of a mechanism to move this 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 plot for which i didn't think was necessary yeah it wasn't he he sometimes takes out smaller players sometimes takes out bigger players it just hits whoever he thinks needs to be punished or is a target of convenience or you know whatever you don't need to waste a page in a 35 page book explaining why he's going after this guy yeah exactly exactly i mean it's we we don't need qualifiers or justifications in frank castle we just need freaking gunfire and action exactly awesome page four the small timer that he's focusing on is james dovinsky but uh he calls himself i believe it's jimmy newview is how you pronounce that yeah, nouveau, nouveau. I don't know. I with his new age views, I just because I took I, I stared at that name okay. for a second, and I was thinking maybe that if that's not how it was, it's the name that made the most sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a guy who's been under the radar, and he's been putting together a crew of kind of dissatisfied, disfranchised, disenfranchised wise guys. Right, and it's also he's he's got some alternative kind of leadership style that involves you would call it kind of almost the new age culty religion yeah the punisher says that it's built on a combination of self-actualization and 21st century tech which i i like some of when when he's describing his views because it is very much built on 70s pop psychology bullshit and just half-ass charisma yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, let's get our healing crystal meth to help us find our way through this, basically. And, uh, and good news for Frank that since he's this new age weirdo, he's not having a bunch of relatives in for Christmas, so it makes him a, a convenient target. Bingo, bada bing, bada boom. Right. Page five. Page five. We, uh,. We get a real needless flashback to the Punisher's kids at Christmas. Is it is it Frank's kids at Christmas? I'm I'm thinking so. It's the you can't see the faces so well, but here I'm in the caption box. He's always hated the holiday season ever since the year I had to put the toy parking garage together. So we see a kid with a bow and arrow, then his uh, sister in the background and a mother. So I mean that that matches the Punisher's family. But it just, it's so out of place. It's just so unnecessary. Again, we don't need, we, everybody knows the Punisher's family was killed 
And I mean, by this point in his career, he's kind of over these. He's he's pretty much emotionally dead inside. He's kind of right. past these these memor uh, these these points of uh, of recollection. He's more of a mechanism than a than a person at this point. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I still wonder though, and I, I guess it's because I really wasn't familiar with the makeup of his family. It, it ties in with some later stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I I see why they were. I, I get why. Why in the art writer's mind he he wanted to include it, but again I felt that I, he was he was cluttering this book with things that didn't need to be there. Yeah, exactly. Like anytime you have a panel that does not that, that just like it either really interrupts the flow of the story and makes the reader kind of sit there and stare at it and act you know think to themselves, "What the hell is this?" I I, I really dislike that in the flow of reading reading the books. Yeah, I'm not saying every panel has to freaking line up story-wise with the, the panel beside, but before it. But at least it needs to be something concise enough and clear enough that you can realize, oh wait, this is either a flashback or this is like, you know, this is what's going on somewhere else where they do a fast cut to a different scene and they're switching back and forth and alternating with it. This panel with like Frank's kids or whoever they are, because I'm still not clear on it was one of those ones that had me staring at it for a minute. And I'm like, what the hell is this squiggly EKG thing going on? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that was a real artsy, fartsy, unnecessary choice. Like, it's, like he's remembering it, and it's like, it's oh, my heartbeat's increasing because it's causing me angst. And that's not the, the Frank I know. And what's I the, got it. What's that? He's like the Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I really hope that was their intention. Uh, maybe who knows all right cool oh. my objections are done <laughs> if you do you do you remember reading any marvel comics from the early 80s i had a pile of like fantastic four and silver surfers from the early 80s but i you know they were in horrible shape so i have no idea what they were anymore i, I just know i had them the the marvel editor-in-chief at that time jim shooter he had this this policy that any comic that or ever any comic could be a kid some young kid's first comic so you would see like every issue of the x-men they would start out with like oh the x-men are in the danger room so wolverine would say like oh someone would say look look out wolverine this is coming at you and he'd say like don't worry i'm gonna smash through that with my edmanium claws and if it hits me it's no big deal bub because i have uh a healing factor. Cyclops is like, oh, and if it headed towards me, I'll just shoot it with my optic blat. Every issue would have to have these, like, the first page or two address, like, what happened the issue before, what they're, what's going on, like, oh, these are renegade mutants, and everybody's power, because they, you didn't want a kid not to buy the book, because he had no idea, like, why is that guy shooting lasers out of his face? So, this almost reminded me of that Jim Shooter model, like, we have to establish that, hey, He's sad because his family died, because maybe people don't know that. There's not a lot of people in mid-2000s who don't know the Punisher. I mean, he's a character who's he's had two movies at that point, mm -hmm. uh, multiple appearances in other Marvel like co cartoons and books. He's a pretty... He's, a, his, he's established. Go, yeah, you can't go anywhere without seeing some asshole in a uh, rusted truck with a fucking Punisher skull on it even though you know they've never read a Punisher comic in their life, but you know, people know the character. Right, yeah. He, 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 he's he's um, established, and he's iconic. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so yeah, exactly. He's 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 part of pop culture at this point. Oh, at that good observation. I I would have to agree. So <laughs> we we got a lot of mileage out of those top couple panels. Yeah. So. <laughs> Damn it. Um, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> so Frank, he reminisces unnecessarily about Christmas and his family. And he's we establish he's going after Jimmy Newview. So he's got his list of naughty people here. And he's going to go shake down a uh, lead, hopefully, on Jimmy. Which uh, takes us to one of my uh, favorite characters of, the, of this book. Pay, uh, yes. Page six. Yes. Yes. And I have to say, over the next two pages, I like the economy of how they introduced a lot of exposition into this book. I thought they Mm -hmm. did it in a smart way, and I thought they did it in a minimum of panels. Yeah, yeah. So Frank's um, walking up to this dive bar, uh, going after his lead, and uh, it... Next scene, next panel shows you a guy who's basically trying to drown himself in alcohol, doing shots of whatever cheap freaking fuel grade substitute they have there. Yes. And uh, the panel after that is is basically the guy continuing to freaking get shit faced. And as he puts his shot glass down, it goes to the fourth panel, which is the article clipped out of a newspaper, and it's basically detailing uh, what had Frank had alluded to earlier was that uh, Jimmy Nouveau had a got into a little trouble, and apparently he tangled with the police. Uh, they had tried to, I don't know if someone if the officer had identified him, or, or Jimmy Nouveau was accosting some woman, according to this article, yeah. and the police tried to intervene. Jimmy Nouveau grabbed a child about the age of uh, eight and held him at gunpoint as a hostage. Shots were fired. No one's sure who did it, but somehow the child ended up dead. And and uh, the policeman's partner, I believe it was. Yeah, one of the cops. One of the cops had gotten, uh, I don't know if he got killed or if he was just merely downed. Uh, yeah, he's killed. He's dead. Okay, so yeah, so shots are fired. So one officer, the surviving officer apparently discharged his weapon. The officer's partner is dead. Jimmy Nouveau fled in the confusion. But because one officer is dead and the other officer admits he discharged his weapon, there's some confusion as to how the kid got killed. Well, not how, but who. Yeah, well, who the who the round had come from. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I thought that was really smart. You have three small panels, but each one has a couple paragraphs of text really letting you into that exposition-heavy backstory. So it was a nice – it was a way to get all that in the, the issue without – spending a lot of panels on it so i thought that was actually really a really good way to do it yeah yeah i mean this was definitely a good bit of exposition i mean the article that's shown in the last panel on the page it's written in in a large enough font that it's easy for someone to read it and get all the details out of it exactly And, and it makes it an easy read because that would have been a real pain in the ass for them to try to do through word bubbles especially yeah. i think that would have been a real clumsy conversation Exactly. Oh, yeah. Remember, I'm doing this because of that gunfight yesterday, and now I'm drinking myself to death because you remember I shot the kid in the face, or I could have possibly shot the kid. It's just, it didn't, you didn't need to craft all that into a clumsy conversation. It just, it was a smart way just to get it out and just over with and us moving it through the story. So I liked it a lot. 
Yeah, I mean, and you know, if we go on to uh, page seven, uh, it, it continues on with this, you know, with this whole cycle. You know, guy drinking, you know, kind of has his forehead palm, you know, face palm kind of situation, not in a humorous way, kind of end up my life is a living fucking hell way. Yeah, and it, it's pretty it, fucked up. Yeah, and then it goes on and keeps giving you the rest of the article, which goes into further detail on what happened. You know, and then it goes repeats the cycle where he gets another shot, starts drinking it. Then there's more of the article, which all of this, you know, I mean, there's a couple of pictures here that block some of the text, but it's you, you can you can put it together on your own fairly easily. I like when they do that because it's like it makes you work to to like, oh, what's this word missing? Okay, that's what it is. It gets you kind of invested in piecing the story together when they block out uh, a couple of words and. The, uh, with the with the pictures, so I thought that was a good choice too. Yeah, absolutely. So going to page eight. Yes, the money page. The money page. Yeah. Okay. You you take this one. Okay. So we see the the guy who's drinking here. He pulls out a gun. He leaves the bar. He's just completely shit faced. He's stumbling in the through the street. And this is some really good artwork. I like that you can see the tire tracks in the snow. Anyway, he yeah. leans up against a parking meter. Walks on. He's crossing the street. He just still has his gun out as he's stumbling around. And just in the middle of the street here, he puts the gun in his mouth and he's just going to pull the trigger and uh, and kill himself. Yeah, he's he's just ready to end it all. Yeah, this is definitely a man with uh, with nothing to lose here. Which takes right. us to uh, to page nine. Boom. Yeah, blam. <laughs> well, <laughs> the boom was like, yeah, page nine, boom. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, I'm on a few there. Yes, it's very, and I just this is awesome. The Punisher comes out of nowhere, and he's able to get the pistol out of the guy's mouth right before the the round is fired. So he he saves this guy's life, and we see that this guy if we hadn't said it before. This is Officer Sanchez. He was the officer who lived through the altercation, but saw his partner and. This, this this small child die and he doesn't know if he's responsible for killing that child so this is a very good uh, I think handling of the Punisher character he tells uh, Sanchez he doesn't care if he wants to kill himself but before he does he wants all the information he has on uh, Jimmy which I love <laughs> Officer Sanchez just tells him to get bent yeah Yeah, he's, a, he's drunk and he has nothing to lose so why no. not screw you Exactly, which uh, takes us to page 10. So San we learned Sanchez is on desk duty, and like just like you said, there was a discharge, there's a small child dead. It's it just They're not accusing of anything. It's just while they're wrapping up their investigation, he's on desk duty. It's standard operating procedure for police any time that there's shots fired to pull somebody from active duty while their investigation's going. The detectives really didn't care a lot of what he had to say because he's just, in their minds, kind of a grunt. And he also reminds the Punisher, you can't really threaten somebody who two seconds ago had a gun in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I, I love this, too. He just does not give a fuck. He's, he even just tells Frank, he's like, whatever, man, just keep the gun. I'm going to go back to trying to kill myself with alcohol. Yeah, he's he, and he just goes to it, and uh, it looks like uh, Frank decides to uh, keep the gun. Yes, just keeps the gun. And then uh, we we get a, another view on page 
12 of the, the list that uh, Frank's been working on. And at the very bottom, he had uh, Officer Sanchez's name, but uh, he had a pretty big gap there, and he, he rips it off, and he changes it from the naughty list to the nice list. Yeah, I love he's got the very small <clears throat> nice list now. Yeah. Compared to the very lengthy uh, naughty list. <laughs> yeah. So, moving on, he's uh, page 13. Uh, Frank apparently has a uh, uh, another lead. He's going to check in with the mother of the child that was shot. Yes. And he goes undercover and he acts as a detective in order to do this. Yeah, he says that he doesn't like to go undercover. If you, It's not something that he does so much in modern Punisher comics, but if you're reading those like the late 80s, early 90s Punisher comics, he would do a lot of undercover work. He... Uh, he would go undercover as police detectives, Wall Street bankers. Santa's. Yes. <laughs> well, yes, so I guess we have seen modern ones where he did the undercover Santa's. There's actually one that he did like in, a, in an inner city high school where he was a violent substitute fighting back against crime. And it was a couple <laughs> of years before that stupid Tom Berenger movie with or the <sighs> substitute with Mark Anthony. So he would do that a lot, and sometimes, I mean, he would use, like, fake mustaches and beards and latex masks. He would do a lot of, almost like Hannibal from uh, the A-Team, he would do a lot of undercover work with a lot of different disguises. So. <laughs> uh, Master of Disguise, the Punisher. Yes. No, that's actually, if you look at some of his Marvel cards, too, that will be, I believe, that's listed on some of those earlier ones, that his, uh, his Master of Disguise skills. Cool. So, yeah, he uh, interrogates um, the mom in a very gentle manner. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, he has the kick gloves out on uh, with her. He does a good job. Yeah, he actually almost seems downright compassionate. Yeah, so, gone. I was going to say, which, she doesn't, know, she doesn't make that the easiest. She is very angry and very distraught. Understandably so, though, because her child was killed yesterday, and it's cr- like the day before Christmas Eve. So you can see why she would be a little volatile and highly emotional. Right. Yeah, Frank Frank takes it in his rather stoic and semi-devoid of emotionless way for uh, an entire page as she vents. And you get to page 15 where... They're sitting on couches talking it over. And uh, see, here's what what got me distracted by the, the flashback sequence. As they're sitting there talking, it pans over to, to a panel that, that has a bow, very much like the bow and arrow that one of the kids in that flashback uh, panel were using. Yes. So, I don't, I, you know, it, it, it tripped me out because I was wondering from that point on, is this a flashback of Frank, or is this a flashback of something going on in this house, or I don't know, man. What, uh, what I took this to be, because on fifteen, uh, page 15 at the top, he says, Ma'am, I honestly don't know whose bullets struck down your son, but I do know this. If I had a little boy taken from me senselessly, I'd want all those, or I'd want all of his killers punished. And... Over the next couple panels, we, we see her reaction, and then we see the foam bow. So I think it's, again, it's it's supposed to be a callback that her son had this had a bow that he was going to get for Christmas, just like his son had gotten a bow. So it's, it's calling attention to his lie that he does exactly know what she's going through, and he absolutely wanted those people punished. I just wanted to move back to 14 quickly. She's talking about how, how great of a of child her son was. 
that he was a little Mozart. He played the piano, and she uses the phrase that he was special and unique. Right. Just wanted to draw attention to that for reasons that will be made obvious, painfully so, later on. Yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, we get this little phone bow thing. And, yeah, I guess you're right. That could be, like, a common denominator between Frank's past and this woman's present. Uh, In a very heavy-handed and completely unnecessary sort of way. Exactly. But she tells Frank to kind of hang out on the couch. And uh, move on to page 16. She, uh, She comes back, says she found something on the ground. It's either a coaster yeah, it's a it's a coaster from uh, sure. a, a gentleman's club. What uh, what gentleman's club is that? Uh, the Pink Putty Tat Lounge. Yes, where they want to miss you. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, yeah, where they're having a merry triple Xmas and a happy New Year. Yes. <laughs> I I I don't know why. Maybe because I have the maturity of like a nine year old. I thought that was just. I I enjoyed that. I just thought it was it was so stupid. It was funny for me. Yeah, it was. It just was the 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 pink putty tat. I just, it was. I thought I told a putty tat. Exactly. Man. It was just. It was. It was just. It was a little over the top and unnecessary. So I yeah, to draw attention to it. Yeah, it, it was. And uh, yeah, as he gets the last panel of the page, uh, Frank decides he needs to add uh, Miss Wendy J, the mother, onto the nice list. Yeah, she says that she found that coaster on the ground after the shooting, but she was so emotional she forgot to give it to the detective. She doesn't know if it's important or not. Right. So page uh, 17, we open where we go to the Pink Putty Tat Lounge. And uh, I got to say, I like the artwork on this page where there's not a lot of, say, gratuitous nudity. The way it's very stylized how they handled it. Again, it's very, I I think, almost noir-esque how they drew it. And I, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I'll have to say it's. It, it reminded me. It, it did have hints of the noir element to it, but it, it was like noir gone '80s. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, with yeah. all the neon colors and the hot pinks and everything, and it's yeah, it doesn't it it doesn't show you gratuitous nudity, but the implication is well enough there that you know exactly what's going on. It's funny that you mentioned noir 1980s, because I was about to say the thing that it really kind of reminds me of is Frank Miller's work. Mm. Okay, that I'm semi-familiar with, so yeah. Yeah, I think we're we're on the same page there. Right, so there's a little exposition going on here, and, and it's basically, it's a, it sounds like a, a cult pitch, you know? Yeah, absolutely. A cult pitch, or like he's selling Amway. Yes, yes, he's, he's, he's like part of a freaking pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got some foot soldiers he's trying to embrace, and he's trying to talk them into embracing to new technology and the follies of older systems. And he uses a stupid analogy of this, don, this crime boss's old mother who writes all of her transactions into a ledger. Right, yeah, with the justification of if there's a fire or something, then all the freaking records are gone. Yes. Page 18, he continues his pitch, you know, as you get more shots of more panels kind of showing what's going on in this uh, fine, fine gentleman's establishment. Great artwork. Great artwork. I've actually seen that move done. Um, (laughs) 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 Uh, But... What he's using as a pinch, a pitch, is the 
sensation he got from watching the child die. Yes. Which it does freaking give this guy a really particularly heinous freaking like vibe. Yeah, it definitely it's the way that he's infatuated with it. It, it, he, he comes across to me as, say, have you ever, like, say when you were in your late teens or early 20s, somebody who, say, got high the first time or, say, they saw beaten, somebody beaten in front of them or saw, like, a really bad car accident. It was the first time they ever saw something like that, and they're talking about how great it is, and it's it's almost like they're making themselves sound tougher or cooler because of something that – these things happen. It's a part of life, but they – but it's like they're taking these these external circumstances and they're using to build like this personal narrative about themselves because they don't have a lot of substance. Does that make any sense? That's kind of kind of what it reminded me of. He's he's yeah. He's building this whole narrative about how glorious it was to see this child die because he was a unique and special person, and but then he bankrolls that into just like all these aging mobsters are unique and special pe- people and. If they'll be respected and special if they join him, but yeah, it really comes across as full of shit. His pitch, and I, I, I blame this on the writer. If you've ever known anybody who is halfway manipulative or conniving, their pitches or pitches are way better than like the weak sauce bullshit that this guy has. It's very lazy. Just this, hey, everybody's special. Come join me. I mean, there's no. Yeah. There's no real hook or payoff. It, it seemed, again, if you've, everybody has that manipulative, like, borderline-esque person in their life. We've, you've seen somebody who's good at manipulating. This is somebody who's not. And I just, it felt like weak, kind of lazy writing to me. Yeah, it, it, it kind of feels like a, you know, I hate to say it, but new age, hippy-dippy, freaking, oh, who can I, who can I call out on this? Um. I don't even know any any anybody anymore because it's been so long since they've had that everybody is a special, unique flower, snowflake, or whatever. And, and the closest I can come up with would be uh, like for today would uh, in today's society would be Gwyneth Paltrow. That would involve some jade eggs. Yeah, <laughs> similar shit. That yeah, yeah. I'm gonna lazily connect a this nonsense to be why you should give me money, but I'm not putting a lot of effort into it. it. You know, he reminds me of, he reminds me of like a really bad, like freaking um, self-help program promoter, you know, like that you'd only see if you had drank way too much coffee and were up at freaking like 4.35 a.m. in the morning and his cheap, crappy infomercial comes on. And he's shilling out some sort of self-help freaking self-actualizing freaking crap but he'll only give you the innermost secrets if you promise to spend four easy installments of 1999 to get his crappy book i i'd agree with that or if you're familiar with the like a prosperity church it's a prosperity church just without the religion the oh you're on hard Mm. times you're not giving me enough money you can see i have money that's why like the lord gives me success you just have to spend money and then that's how you get money yeah yeah, kind of, kind of a Joel Olstein thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So that's 18. I got to say on 19, I like his, just to cement the new agey bullshit, you see a triangle with a big eyeball in it in the background. So, Illuminati. 
Exactly. You see the triangle, <laughs> the the eyeball. These are all. This is all new agey bullshit. Yeah, it's a whole Illuminati confirmed freaking BS. Yeah. So yeah, you can see freaking Jimmy DeVoe's up there, you know, and, and standing in front, giving his his I don't know speech, sermon, lecture, pitch, whatever you want to call it, to these lackeys in front of him, and uh, one of the one of the uh, exotic dancers from this fine gentleman's club is uh, standing next to him while he gives his spiel. You know, he's got these big, like, aviator-style sun- mirrored sunglasses on. So, like, the, it's a really cool panel. It, yeah. it reminds me of, like, he, he the way he looks there and with those glasses, look, like, it's like Elvis within a year of him dying. He's exactly. got, like, the big-ass Elvis glasses. Exactly. He looks kind of, he's got the long, stringy, sweaty hair just like Elvis. Yeah, he's got, like, fat, dying Elvis look. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could agree with you there. The, the, the art direction was cool, you know, because it's all mostly silhouetted, and uh, the lighting's all, you know, like hot pinks and, like, real green, and it, it looks really good. He, he continues his spiel about helping these guys freaking self-actualize, and here's what got me he, he he's winding up his he's closing out his little little pitch and he's telling him he wants him to join him and they want to build a new future where he promises him that they will all be respected as valuable individuals as you get to the bottom panel he continues his speech and he says not pieces of meat and the panel shows that basically the uh exotic dancer standing next to him he's got his hand and he is just getting one major grope on her rear yeah awesome scene yeah it's nice like you said it's a nice treating her like a piece of meat as he's saying he's not going to right uh i just you see the audience they're all made up of like these aging geezer mafiosos if there was ever a jaded group of people who are not going to buy in for your two eight for your two cent bullshit, I think it would be these these jaded mobsters. But hey, seems like he's doing okay for himself. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. These are all the guys that were told to get out of the club anyway, so he's just offering them another in. Yeah, exactly. Their desperation in that room is a stinky cologne. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Thankfully, at this point, because. I just felt he was embarrassing himself with his weak with his weak sauce pitch. Thankfully for us, that's when the Punisher on page twenty bursts through the door, kicks it in, and just starts unloading with with an automatic weapon. Yeah, he he's just going to town. Uh, Jimmy Nouveau is of you know screaming, "Take him, shoot him down like a dog," which you know every freaking mob boss says whenever they hear Frank's in town. Yeah, I like this the Frank's so much for the new age philosophy there i I did enjoy that little one-liner exactly yeah it was definitely probably the best one out of the out of the issue and you know he's open fire laying waste and as we go move on to page 21 yeah there's a couple cool little quips where you know he's like that's a couple more off my naughty list yes which i thought was funny okay this first panel i did find really funny he, he goes on and says hey, this is the kind of thing he should do more often is wipe out rising freaking gang members and before they become a bigger threat. And he calls it preventative maintenance, which you and I are both incredibly familiar with and I find hilarious. Yeah, I, I did. I wrote that down as well. I really enjoyed his preventative maintenance uh, view of, of, of the slaughter. <laughs> and I, I do like that he kind of waxes uh, uh, back and forth on that because then he goes on to say – you know, to be honest, 
this is a guy who, if you left him to his own devices for too much longer, an established mob boss would have just whacked him anyway. So it's not like he's accomplishing a lot here, but it just feels good to take out an ass bag like this guy. So it's more of a self-indulgence, and he considers it a Christmas present to himself. I enjoyed that. Okay, so this whole page is him... You know, the panels all show him, you know, just freaking putting in some work. You know, he's yeah. doing, he's laying waste. He's freaking just doling out the carnage left and right on all these panels. And you've got the, the exposition bubbles where he's, you know, it's basically him thinking in his own, you know, his inner monologue. And I couldn't help when I first read it. I couldn't help but go through it and then go through it again and think he sounds like a soccer mom who's shopping and just having all these random thoughts going through her head as, as she's going to the supermarket, except he's the Punisher and he's killing motherfuckers while he's thinking this stuff. It's so mundane to him. This is just his, this is my Thursday night and this is just all the <laughs> other things I'm thinking while I'm doing it. Exactly. You know, like at one point I would like wonder if, you know, it, it it would eventually have a little, little piece of dialogue to himself where he's like, huh, I wonder if I freaking, you know, packed enough grenades you know or something like that you know like just like someone else would be like well i wonder if the food's too salty <laughs> there's a i'm gonna uh, it's gonna drive me nuts now there's an independent comic book where there's this woman she's like a soccer mom you know she packs the lunches she does all those things but you see when her husband goes to sleep or when she's home alone when they're all gone like her husband's at work and her kids are at school she puts on a black wig and she does these hits and she's like slowly like the Punisher taking out this mob family. But it's like the whole time she's like, man, when uh, kids will be home at 2.30, what am I going to make for snacks? So the entire time it's just her mundane like soccer mom thoughts going through her head as she's like tailing and mobsters and slitting their throats and whatnot. <laughs> Similar to how you described it. <laughs> Jennifer Blood, that's what it's called. Oh, that sounds freaking awesome. I think that uh, that takes us to page 22, where all the geriatric gangsters, which Frank makes fun of them a little bit too. He's like, hey, I think a couple of these guys work for Capone. Uh, they're all... Yeah. <laughs> it always makes you laugh. That was a good line. Yeah, he, he has a, like you said, he has a little bit of fun with it. They're all dead, and so now Johnny Newview is... He's basically... He recognizes the Punisher. He makes a half-assed attempt to try to talk him out of killing him with some more of his New Age bullshit. Like, what has this war on crime done for you? You know, what is it? What has it gotten you? Are you happier? You know, you're a unique and special person. Just this is this is shit that Frank is now an emotionally dead sociopath. You're not going to. You're not going to. Thirty seconds of New Age like bullshit is not going to talk him out of killing you. Right. Yeah. He seems to be kind of giving him the spiel, and uh, Frank's not buying it. But uh, the this third panel on that page, he really does look like fat dying Elvis. It took me uh, a little bit to to put together. He looked familiar, and it took me a little while to put it together. I would not be surprised if they use the month before he died Elvis as an inspiration for for this guy. Yeah, he almost yeah. even has his hands up. Like, have you ever seen anybody doing like Fat Elvis doing yes. like, karate stuff? Yeah, that's what it looks like in these panels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely looks like freaking some guy that was drinking directly from the gravy boat. But yeah, uh, even though he's uh, waxing on about his his particular brand of new agey philosophy and spouting you know things from the Tao Te Ching, he uh, Frank's not really buying it. 
No, no. And he, Frank sets a firm but appropriate boundary with him on page 23. I'd say, yeah, definitely firm. Yeah, it looks like he, it's hard to see. It's a very kinetic scene, but I assume he takes his, his, his rifle there and just hits him in the face, like right in the mouth. Yeah, it looks like he butt strokes him right in the mouth. Yes, which is the appropriate response. To Absolutely. I mean, if you're going to give me some mealy mouth garbage, you might as well make your mouth mealy. <laughs> well put. But here we see uh, Frank, in the spirit of the holidays, is offering him a deal. If Jimmy helps him out, he'll scratch his name off his naughty list. Which is... It was very transparent what was going on there. But Jimmy's a dying man. He realized, or he realizes he has no way out. Might as well grasp at that straw, huh? Exactly. Yeah, it was totally transparent what was happening. So, but yeah. So uh, Frank wants all of Jimmy's records because, again, where Jimmy was mocking that old woman for having a, an easily destroyable system, he's a mid-level crime boss who now has fastidious records in an electronic backed-up format. Yep. And, and we see on page 24... That since this is 2006, of course he's got his data backed up on a CD-ROM or in a writable CD. Did you ever think we get to the point where we thought freaking people using CD-ROMs was laughable? It's really I can remember backing up so much. I had like ton, like almost every season of Stargate on a writable CD, and now yeah, it's just the idea of removable uh, storage. Like you said, it's quite comical to me, and it's just. It's funny that going back even, like, ten years, that was, like, so futuristic. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I yeah. can store, like, what, like, five gigs on this? It's, yeah, it's not gig. even the removable storage aspect. It's the optical storage. Yeah. I mean, mini micro SD cards are, are fairly common and a great way to get freaking loads of data moved around physically without having to rely on Internet or anything else. But the optical format, I mean, geez, I, we all thought that was like the shit and it couldn't even hold a gig. There was this was supposed to be the future. They talked about it as early as like 2003 or four, where they were developing. It was called a holographic this DVD uh, ROM drive where I can't remember what color all the information is stored upon on a normal, say, CD-ROM drive or kind of like a, a writable CD or DVD, but the holographic, it's called a holographic drive because it could do multi, or store data on top of other data because it would shift it into like a different spectrum. So you could write data on top of data. So instead of just having that, because I, like, I think by the time they stopped being popular, you could go up to, I think, like, what, like six gigs, you would be able to write 30 or 40 gigs because you could just keep writing data on top of data. But that never was widely, I don't know if they, it's just they never got all the bugs out. But like you said, the thumb drive, the flash memory became the, especially with how you could move data, you could back it up, you could move it easily over the internet. It really made those uh, those CD drives just, just obsolete. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, now we're freaking reminiscing about old technologies. <laughs> I like that, that the Punisher even mocks him for being such a new age technophile that he has a list of all of his his contacts, his crimes, where all the bodies are buried, keeping not only on a computer, but like a backed up copy of it. That's exactly. Just, he he makes it so convenient. Yes. Uh, so that takes us to 25. Right. Which, (laughs) 
I love this page. Um, yes, Fat Elvis. Yeah, so Jimmy naively thinks that giving the CD to Frank, he's uh, he's going to get out of this uh, no problem. And so he's got his 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 index finger. It actually looks like his middle finger going through. On uh, his other hand, he made you know the OK sign. He made a little circle with his index finger and his thumb, and he's vigorously moving his finger through while using ho 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 as a euphemism for sex, which just such a stupid thing to do with the Punisher. So he's he's like, hey, you know, like nice doing business with you. A little new age uh, religion will get you a lot more ho 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 if you know what I mean. But he doesn't even get to finish it before the Punisher shoots him in the face. Yep. And cross. So then he crosses off his name. See there, name scratched off. So I think we all knew that his name was going to be scratched off, but not in the way that uh, Jimmy was hoping for. Yeah, but you know, one thing you can't say about the Punisher is that he does follow through on what he says he's going to do. I believe there's times where he, I'm not, I'm blanking on specifics, where he'll lie to a guy's face and kill him. The Punisher doesn't care. You're a criminal. You yeah, deserve punishment. Exactly. Yeah. His rules of engagement is I will use any means possible without killing an innocent to kill you. So he does not – he doesn't give any fucks. He just he'll do whatever is necessary. I have to say, though, this whole issue has been about chasing Jimmy here. We're at page 25 of 35. Jimmy's dead. Jimmy's dead. Yeah. So, so and I'm, I feel that – I'm oh, so ahead. in suspense of what happens next. I feel this is where the we've had some criticism so far, but I feel this is where the issue really kind of falls apart. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I could I could see page twenty six as kind of an epilogue to to the story. Yeah, you know, so I really don't have an objection with this page, not not yeah. too much. Oh yeah, this next page, he's it's tying up loose ends, not a big deal. Yeah, this would actually be a perfect last page, you know. Yeah. It, it feels very much like it was written this way, and it's almost like everything that happened afterward, it was like editorials, like, what are you doing? You have eight pages to fill. Yeah, he's like, oh, shit, you know, everybody decided not to advertise with this, so he's got to fill these up. This, Like you said, this is a good page. We see Sanchez, he's passed out, drunk in the bar. And I can tell you what, probably what his brand of poison is, too. Oh, is it Jim Bean? That is a Jim Bean bottle, yeah. for sure. Frank finds him. He's got the uh, the coaster in a uh, plastic like evidence bag. He he also learned or Frank has a contact down at the coroner's office. They ran a ballistics report, which clears uh, Sanchez of shooting the kid. He also gives him the coaster and he tells him like, here you can give this to your detective buddies. They can find Jimmy's body there, wrapping up the case. You know Sanchez is still a bit melancholy. He's like, you know, so what? The kid is still dead. But he he backs off on that. He thanks Frank for what he uh, for what he did. We see Frank. He's got the writable CD in that last uh, last page in his hand. He he yeah. appreciates the thanks. He says you're welcome and Merry Christmas. And he's holding up the CD to show that he he got something out of this too. And I have to ask in that last panel on the right on the very uh, bottom of the page, does it not look like Frank has has a beard? It does, and I, I I think it's just the way the shadows are drawn. It, it's yeah, it's they, one of those like they 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 were trying to go for a, a a stylized freaking art presentation here, and in doing it, it made it look like Frank had a freaking beard and a, a full on goatee. Yeah, I mean they like I I agree. It's just it's it's a little bit overshadowed. Somebody went a little too too thick with the the black there. 
Yeah. Looks like hipster Frank. <laughs> Page 27. Frank has got a laptop, or he just stole Jimmy's laptop when he left. I would think because, so. Because it's got the same background. It's got, like, the three outlines of naked girls. Yeah, like a, a wannabe Charlie's Angels without the guns. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah, Frank's busy uh, mocking him because what kind of idiot backs up all this stuff on a freaking computer? That's why Mama Bosini or whatever her name was, you know, freaking kept it on paper because it, you can't, you've only got one copy. It's hard for that information to get out and hard for it to be used against you. Where he mocked her, he's like, one fire and all those records have gone. That's exactly why she did it. The cops pull up. You know, she sets that like the the storage room on fire. All those records are gone. That's it wasn't a it wasn't a flaw. It was a a benefit of the of the design. Right. And uh, as he's going through uh, Jimmy Nouveau's laptop, he uh, he stumbles upon uh, some pictures. Yeah, he sees a folder with the initials W J. And uh, the kid who's uh, who shot his mother's name was Wendy J. Yep. And. Uh, it looks like he's got a picture of uh, Wendy and Jimmy in a semi-compromising position, uh, yes. I should say. And it, it flashes back to uh, what Jimmy had said about special, unique people and how Wendy had said a special, unique person about her son. And it's actually kind of funny, this last panel, it, it's Frank's jaw apparently drops a little bit. I, I have to say, that's a pretty tenuous connection. Because the guy, I, I, I mean, I, I, it ties together, yes, but because they both use the word special and unique, it's not like those are unusual words, especially for like a grieving mother to, you, to use for her child. But yeah, it felt a little forced. Yeah, I could, I could see that, and I'm by no means trying to defend it. Uh, I'm oh, thinking, no, I'm thinking maybe there's a, maybe there's an implied tone to how they say it that makes it seem like a freaking trademark kind of way of, of, of how. Only only someone that's been exposed to that person's spiel would say it. You know, like if I would say they're great, you'd probably think I'm someone that really likes fucking Frosted Flakes. I I would think if, if it were me as a writer, because he says you are a special and unique person. She says he was special, unique. If she had also said he was a, a special and unique person, I think that would have. It's not like it needed to be cemented more because we have the picture of her, you know, half naked on his lap. But I think it would have just reinforced the connection. Yeah, but if you look closely at the dialogue bubble, he did say special, unique person. Okay, there is a comma there. You're right. Haha. See, Gaia Grama Nazi. You got it. <laughs> okay, that takes us to 29. Frank finds Wendy at a bus station. She wants to know how he found her. Jimmy kept pretty extensive records, and he showed that his records show that she has a sister that lives in Tenafly, which is along this bus line. And this is what I don't understand. He says that he figured she would be indicted soon, and she would need to skip town. Why is he figuring she would be indicted? No, no, he didn't say indicted. He said implicated. Oh, yes, I totally, I... When I reread this for my notes, I had, I guess I'd used some top-down processing, and I had, I had took that as, and you're absolutely right. But even, let's go with implicated, what would she be implicated with? Well, I'm sure since they're raiding 
Jimmy's uh, place of business, the strip club. I'm sure there's going to be some sort of record that ties her to Jimmy somehow. And, uh, you know, that's the implication right there. They already knew each other. So now this changes from a random hostage taking situation to maybe something different. And they might dig into that relationship. I don't know. Especially once they think, out, you know, get get into the criminal aspects of Jimmy's uh, business. The fact that Jimmy had a record of where her sister lived and, you know, hey, if she ever tries to skip town, this is probably the way she's going to do it. That is, these are some thorough record keeping. The fact that we see in these, these, these exchanges, the Punisher doesn't know what her relationship was outside of a couple uh, pictures of her hanging out with Jimmy. So he has no reason to believe that she has done anything but except for have really bad taste in men. So I just, I don't, there's nothing to really be implicated with. Yeah, fair enough. And, oh, go ahead. No, no, yeah, that was it. I was just going to go go with the fair enough. <laughs> okay, so, and, and this, on here, about 29 and more so on 30, Frank wants to know what her connection was to Jimmy. Was she a hooker? Was she turning tricks? Again, there was nothing in the records to support that when the records had all of his dealings. So, and so why wouldn't it have that in there if she was? And she, she says that she wasn't. She just that, you know, she fell in with him and Jimmy took care of her. Probably was giving her money. She was, she was in a relationship with him, but most probably based, mostly physical and he was kind of a sugar daddy, paying stuff off for her. But then she uh, she says things kind of changed when her son came along, Adam. And he would still go see Jimmy, but she would have to get a sitter every time. And this last time he called, she couldn't find a sitter in time, so she took Adam with her. And Jimmy freaked out. He was going to have sex with her right, right, right in front of the kid. And that's when the kid started screaming. That's because I get, like, seeing Fat Elvis fuck your mom is going to be pretty traumatic. And that's when the cops came in be, uh, responding to this altercation. So, again, what she did there, it's child endangerment. And I'm sure that the authorities might might have gotten involved with that. But it's not like CPS is going to get – it's not like you're actively putting a child in danger. Again, I just don't see what her – she's made bad choices – very unethical and immoral choices, but there's not a lot that you would charge her with there. So for him to say, based off of not even having that conversation, or you're going to be implicated in this whole thing, she's she she's clearly not a good person, and she's done some fucked up stuff. Right. There's not there's not a jail for people who you didn't necessarily do anything illegal, but we don't like your moral choices. So I just it seemed very heavy handed that. He had just assumed that she was going to be carted off to ethics jail when she hasn't. There was no evidence that she committed a crime. Yeah, yeah, and, and she's uh, she's very upset. <laughs> Understandably so, because I mean, it's not like she. Because at, at this point in the story, I thought something was going to come together where this was all planned, like the death of her son, that she had manipulated the whole uh, altercation with the cops. That she was skipping town with some insurance money or something like that. That she was she was a bad person, and that's not where this went at all. She was just a fucked up person who made bad choices, and now she has to live with if she had made some uh, different choice that night, her son would still be alive. She loved her son. Her grief was genuine. She realizes she's a fucked up person, and that her son's death, for all intents and purposes, is her fault. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I did appreciate that part of the story. Uh, I mean, I, I would say that's probably one of the most nuanced kind of a, 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 a emotionally impactful parts of any comic book I've read in the last, since we started doing this, I'll say expression. It, it was very nuanced in how she expressed it because yes, she, you know, it was clearly conveyed. She's angry, but she's remorseful, but she's, she also realizes that, you know, she, she was doing what was really fucked up and she was, she, she must shoulder part of the responsibility for her son dying. You know, this wasn't just a random act, you know, that was completely out of her control. This was an act that was caused by her conscious decision to place her son in the circumstance that would allow it to happen. Which, it's why I feel that this this ending really didn't belong in a Punisher comic. A Punisher, let's be honest, they're fun because they're violent, but the characters that he comes across usually are very two-dimensional. Yes. I felt that this felt very much more, this would have been at home more, and I'd like say a Daredevil issue. Yeah, yeah. And he would even say if there was some, like, if she was arrested for some sort of crime, he would have made sure that you will be defended, you will get good good or bad, you will see justice. I feel this would have been much more at home in that sort of, the, in that, in that sort of book, where justice was the, the narrative, not punishment. Yeah, that, that definitely would be more applicable. But it unfortunately isn't in another book, so basically she freaking darts off. Yeah, she, on page 31, she angrily confronts Frank, asking if he's going to punish her. And she implies that with her son dead, there's nothing worse that he could do with her, which echoes kind of the conversation he had with Sanchez in the beginning. Like, what are you going to do? I just had a gun in my mouth a second ago. I have nothing to lose. Yeah, it definitely revisits that theme. Yeah, so she, uh, like you said, she runs off. And that takes us to 32. Right. Oh, there's a, there's a, a bit right where, right when she runs off uh, in, in Frank's inner monologue. It's it is, conveys a little more emotion than you would expect out of Frank because it says, in a sick moment, I realize what she's planning. Yes. And so we see on 32 that she runs in front of a bus and she, she basically commits su- – she's trying to commit suicide. I got to say, with the emotional impact of what they're trying to convey – there's a pa- the second panel from the top where we see her luggage breaks open. It, it cracked me up. Yeah. Who the hell candles, freaking carries a candelabra in their freaking suitcase? Yeah, it's her suitcase opens up in midair, and all that falls out is a shoe, a bra, and a candelabra. So it's like she's playing. It, she, she, she going to do like a a uh, like a role playing like a LARPing version of Clue? Yes. She was going like what the fuck? Yes. This is a weird three. Uh, the only three things that we've seen her bag imply. I took that like in last issue. I took he has the Punisher light. I'm very concrete with this stuff. Those were the only things in the box in her suitcase. Yep. Uh, basically, he he kind of gives her. He looks at her over after the bus that ran her ran her over drives off gives her a quick little medical assessment you know broken neck broken brain most likely brain damage shattered spine and uh yeah pretty much said you know expresses to himself yes yeah, she's done but she's not so done that she can't kind of whisper kill me yeah because it's, it's i mean she might be able to live through that and she would be fucked up for a long time oh yeah but yeah so she 
so what she's in fact asking for in her mind and in Frank's mind is mercy for a quick death where she doesn't have to live with the consequences of what she did. And then Frank, for who the, his his theme is, like I said earlier, punishment, he ends in his mind granting mercy. Right. Which, you know, goes off, you know, exactly. He, he whips out the 9mm, freaking puts a round in her head, and uh, drops a piece of paper onto her chest. I have to say, that's pretty ballsy to do in the middle of a, <laughs> of a bus station. Yeah. Now where you have an accident where you're going to have a ton of people just surrounding the, like, looky-loose, looking at what's happening. Yeah, so much for collateral damage and witnesses and all that other stuff he was so concerned with earlier. And I think that this is the the page the issue should have ended on. You didn't need anything after this. Like, you, like she, he shoots her, and like you said, he drops a small piece of paper that will we'll see what's on it. I mean, you could, like, if you're looking at this with us, if you're reading this with us, you can tell what that paper was. Yeah. That, and fortunately, yeah, this is the second perfectly good opportunity they had to end this issue. But they drag it out even further. It, this is the most useless, unnecessary fucking page right here on 34. So if you're at home and you're reading along with us and you have page 34 open on your phone, your laptop, you pulled out the paper issue, whatever, shake your fist with me because this is so fucking worthless. So th- this whole page, it's just panels that we've already seen it's kind of like a recap of what we've seen in the issue it's a picture of the dead kid in the paper uh the punisher shooting people at the the strip club his son shooting the bow with his weird fucking eeg in the uh going through it the drunken cop a woman at the strip club the foam bow that her that wendy j mother's yeah, Wendy J was was going to get. So it's shit that we've already seen put together. Like where it's like I guess he's trying to put the whole narrative in context. Or the caption boxes we get are Christmas. It's just not the same without the children. Fuck you. Yeah, that was a those waste. Well, how of does that belong in a Punisher story? Who the hell knows? But yeah, I mean. It, <sighs> He missed a perfectly good chance to just end the issue and call it good. But no, it, it goes on, and uh, it goes on to the final page, page 35. And uh, Frank, you know, continues his little inner monologue. Yeah, Christmas is just not the same without the children, but you can you can't fight tradition. And he's got a lot more house cleaning to do. So it's kind of like the, you know, he's still got this long list of people to take out. Frank walks off into the sunset or the night, whichever you prefer. To continue on with his personal crusade. And the last panel we see, the piece of paper that she dropped on, or that he dropped on Wendy, was his nice list that had Sanchez and both Wendy on it. Right, and it gives you the end. I love Punisher stories. It's it's a rare one that I don't enjoy. I'm not going to say like I regretted reading this this one. It wasn't that bad, but it just it was very muddled. It didn't it didn't have a coherent thought or narrative throughout the whole thing. And the fact that the big bad guy that he was killing, he killed off two thirds of the way. And it felt like they just had pages to fill for the last third. It just, I don't know. It, it, there was the makings of a good story here and it just never came together. Yeah. It's, I think the biggest issue for me was the pacing of it. The, the, the pacing really wasn't that great. And the sections where they introduced uh, Frank's origin story, if you will, were a little muddied instead of wrapping everything up nice and tidy with a bow when they were when they had two perfectly good opportunities to do so 
they drug it out a little bit more to kind of get a little bit more mileage out of st- out of the story and fill up a book. Yeah, so overall, it's been my least favorite one we've read in the in in punish punish member, punish December. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I I agree. It's if they had just padded out a little bit more his pursuit of Jimmy. It's like if you play a video game and you're supposed to oh you got to work your way to the top like to the to the end guy and the end guy is just thirty minutes into the game like who the fuck cares? It just it felt like he one the Punisher has a lot of. Uh, abilities with with tracking people down a lot of resources jimmy was not a guy who kept a low profile it just seemed like why it just seemed weird that the punisher wouldn't have been able to find him when the guy was clearly like just oh i'm a big shot people know where to find me it seemed very weird that they had to come up with a oh he's like we need to uh we don't know where to find him the widow has or not the widow the mom has this coaster I'm going to immediately go over there, and this guy who's the big bad, oh, I'm going to kill within two minutes of meeting him. It just, it, it, like you said, it wasn't paced very well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like I said, probably my least favorite of Punish Sembers, so. Yep. That brings our four-hour uh, four episode to a close. All right. I want to remind everybody out there, comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I want to know about how you're spending Punish Sember. I want to know about some of your pu- favorite Punisher stories. I just want you to tell me what comic books you're currently reading or what comic books you like. And if you like our show, please leave us a review. Or even better yet, if you know other people in your life who really like comic books, tell them about this show. Again, I want to get our community growing, and I want to get more of this feedback from you guys, because I'd like you guys to get write us in, tell us what stories you want to hear, what you want to talk about. I'd like to spend a part of the show just reading your guys' mail, getting your comments, making this much more interactive. You guys can actually set topics that you want us to talk about. All you have to do is write into us. Right. You can also find us on Instagram now. Uh, we've got a... Uh... New and budding presence there with the uh, Comic Book Dungeon podcast. It'll be an alternative method of uh, getting out when our episodes are posted and probably just throwing out anything I happen to find interesting that's comic book related or maybe somewhere in the sci-fi genre. I don't know. We'll see what happens with it. Or if uh, you just want to just randomly shoot stuff at us and then you don't want to do something as formal as an email or Instagram... You can tweet at me at broken LMD, like like the like for Marvel the life model decoys. So Lima Mike Delta broken LMD, and I'm hardly ever on it. So if I get a message, I can guarantee you I'll probably respond to it pretty quickly. So we're pretty accessible. Just yeah, let us know what you guys uh, what you think of the show and some of the topics you want to hear. I know if you're listening to our backlog, which I, I cringe when people say I listen to your first episode now, because I think we've gotten a little bit better with the pacing, the format, the editing. But yeah, I mean, if I, any of the questions I've asked in the past, or if there's something that you want to know comic book related or you want to talk about, just shoot us a, a message on the Instagram, email, Twitter, smoke signals, whatever. Yeah. So with that, uh, I guess I can say I uh, keep reading, keep turning pages, and uh Let's take it away, man. <laughs> yeah, and on this most holy of months, this Punish Sember, 
when we're all gathered around family, I want us all to remember the time that the Punisher fed an old lady to a polar bear. <laughs> he ate her arms and legs and just left her alive just as just with four stuff. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>
Biggins? Hmm. Never heard that word before I moved to Springfield. I don't know why. It's a perfectly cromulent word.